Hello, everyone. It's January the 6th of 2021. Welcome to Weekly Manga Recap, our first WMR of the new year. And there's a lot of manga this week. There's a lot of manga. Well, we we, we intentionally held back on a couple series yeah. so that, you know, those are built up. Um, and then, ironically, it's less than we normally would have as well because... Doctor Sura, we never learn, and Chainsaw Man have ended, and we haven't like filled those spots back with anything yet. Um, so when you think about it, it's a small week, you know. I guess. I mean, I did open up some of the uh, stuff that you didn't, um, just to kind of like make brief mention of it. But uh, there was a lot of stuff that got released over the last two weeks. Uh, so for uh, those of you who joined us last time, you know that we just kind of did our, you know, look back at the year of twenty twenty. And, uh, you know, it, it, things were, were looking up a little bit after that. And then today happened. And uh, I'm sure they're going to get better. But things are pretty rough looking right now, at least if you're on in if you're America boys like us. But I, uh, we're going to try and talk about all the joyous things that happened in manga this week. Unfortunately, the first one we talk about talks about, about people who died. So happy times. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's okay. We only have to ooh, start off with the one yeah. <laughs> that's all about the devastation of conflict and how we have to watch and kind of live with the atrocities of it before us at all times. Let's kick things off with that, right? There's a lot of happy times ahead. I promise you. <laughs> a lot of fun stuff happened this week. It's just... <laughs> it's just we have to start off with the one that's emotionally devastating as an intentional point. Okay. Let's do that. With uh, My Hero Academia, chapter number 296. Hellish Hell. That's a... V- Man, you just... Nose. You, you, it's, it, you're, you, you gotta stop being on the nose it's very annoying when it's on the nose like this because it just keeps on poking me on my nose and i don't like that it's how on the nose it is so last chapter ended on a sort of confusing note but the heavy implication was just that uh shigaraki's group everyone who had kind of like gathered together and was trying to get the remnants of league of villains away had done so and we get confirmation of that at the beginning of this chapter that's the first thing we learned which is that uh all for one in shigaraki's body commanded and coordinated all the near high-end nomu to cover the escape attempt so like a uh, spinner and dobby and 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 shigaraki and oh gosh uh skeptic all got away yeah. uh along with three of those near high ends and uh, Gigantomachi has been captured. Mr. Compress has been captured. He ain't dead yet, quite. Uh, and he's uh, he's fine. He's fine. Like the moment where I'm just like, how the fuck is he alive? <laughs> Dude compressed his fucking lungs. Oh, I mean, he seemed to be talking just fine. You know, I, unless the, all those were bubbles where he was shouting at the top of his lungs, he was just going to go and say, like, and I am going to cover you your escape. He's just falling apart, my guy. All right. Uh, we are told that all everyone else that was involved in the Metal Human Liberation Front, all of them, like 16,000 people were all apprehended, which, geez, that's a lot of people. Uh, all gather one place 
Uh, also, some people that like we didn't really, you know, follow very much during this whole conflict. Like Redestro, okay, he had the whole thing where like you know Tokoyami's Dark Shadow fought him for a second. Uh, Genton showed up, I guess, a little bit. I don't really know if Trumpet did. No, I guess we saw we saw a trumpet once in the fight. But anyway, I, I legit it it was a moment of me being like, okay, yeah, I know who Trumpet is, and then that yeah. was it. <laughs> I was like, yes, we have met him before. I do recall that he was the politician man. That that was where my thought process ended. He, he with was him. rallying the troops. Yeah. yeah, he was being their bard basically. Mm-hmm. So they've all been captured. Uh, that's not the the only thing that happens. However, uh. Gigantomachia did steamroll through a city, and there was also the wave of destruction that uh, Shigaraki sent out, so the nearby town is in rubble. Uh, it's uh, not fun to look at, because those buildings are toppled over, and there is a lot of debris and stuff, and uh, there is briefly, like, a, a, a littlest cancer patient kind of moment, with, you know, like, a little kid uh, buried under some rubble telling his friend or sister or somebody, like, Listen, if I don't get out of here, then then you should save yourself and you can have my Endeavor pouch. And she's like, no, I don't want that. And rocks are going to fall on them and kill them both. It's okay. So you and Uraka show up and save their butts. Can I note something? So this is a brother and sister. Can I note how fucking infuriating it is that there would be this dramatic moment like that? And I'm just trying to visualize it in my own head that if my sibling was crushed under a rock, I'd be like, brother! (laughs) <laughs> like, because I'm like, there might be a camera to the world watching that doesn't understand our relationship. So I can't call you what I've called you every other moment of my life. To establish our relationship, I must shout it out to the world. Brother! Yeah, those, uh, that Onichan, Onichan thing is, uh, that does not translate well. <laughs> no, no <laughs> I just, just, the, just the, I, the idea of like my brother under a rock and like that I wouldn't be calling him either what I normally call him or like to get like a laugh and be like fart face no or something like that. Like something to like lift the spirits of the moment. It's like, what the fuck are you going to I'm definitely not giving you my Endeavor pouch. Fuck you. <laughs> oh, it's pure spite. That he lifts the rock up with pure spite. Like, no, I'm going to live and I keep the Endeavor pouch. Um, there is a little moment when, like, after the kids have been saved, um, Suyu is, like, looking after the two of them, and the boy's, like, crying because he's got, like, a broken leg or something, and the little girl just goes, Endeavor Pouch! <laughs> like, <laughs> she's like, okay, now that you're alive, yeah, I-, I want that pouch, you said I could have it, fuck you! Uraka <laughs> <laughs> heads off on her own to try and help. Uh, there is a brief moment where she kind of hesitates when a guy who is clearly injured says that his wife is still caught inside. And you can kind of tell, like, for just a moment, she sort of thinks about how Toga tricked her that way before. But then she goes, you know, with the guy and, and helps save his wife. Uh, and there's just kind of a montage of everyone at the scene tr- desperately trying to save as many people as they can. And as Uruk is tending to someone else later on, this other hero, this guy who's got this really weird uh, cap on, just looks out over everything. And he says, this is this is too much. And he's just looks at the entire scene. Stuff is on fire. Stuff is collapsed. And Iraq is like watching him watch all of this as he says, I need a new line of work, which that's a that's a really real moment. Just I can't do this anymore. I there's an intensity in this chapter 
that is very well executed. There's there's a density in how much dialogue is in every panel of these scenes. And it's all just coming from so many sources. It, it, it's kind of a tough thing to do to create cacophony in manga, so to speak, because you don't have an actual audio track to work with. Uh, but the fact that just so many of these panels where we see the heroes going around trying to help people is filled with dialogue of characters shouting, of people, you know, crying for help, of just sound effects and on all this noise, it creates this chaos of this moment. So when you get finally this scene of this hero we've never met before just staring out into the world being like i can't do this anymore and it's kind of reflected a little bit on uraraka who is a fucking child at this point yeah. still basically she's like, she's 16, like 16 or something so- yeah. something like that and she's still doing it too and she just watches this adult who's kind of staring at all this just saying i can't do this anymore yeah. i mean it fucking hits like a goddamn truck. Uh, I've we we've kind of criticized Araraka for a very long time because she never really gets moments to shine, and oftentimes kind of feels like she's a background character. She is quite literally set dressing in the overhaul arc, where she shows up to give a scale verticality to the final battle with overhaul, and that's more or less essentially her entire point there. Um, but her in this moment as the hero who has been on the front lines of this since they started and has been helping people. And even though I didn't like the detour of it, having that detour showing that, you know, she had this conflict with um, Toga and it it, it reached this kind of point where she has even still a moment of hesitation where she's like, is this just going to be another trick? But she still goes ahead and does it. Seeing her here is like, she's clearly sweating like her hair's just like falling like this is someone who's clearly just been doing this for so long and like it, you could just see this fatigue in her having to watch it and there's no further reaction to it than that you know it, it's not like uraraka walks up to this guy and just says like no no you need to keep fighting like for some reason the devastation of no response is what absolutely makes that moment just work in so many ways Yeah, there's something very powerful about her just watching a guy have that moment. Uh Like, even somehow it's even more powerful than, like, if she had that moment herself. There's something that's really, really good about the look on her face as she realizes that this guy is overwhelmed. And you just kind of know, like, she's kind of thinking, God, how am I keeping up at all? Yeah, that's that's a moment where you're almost like, like, is this the moment where she realizes how shitty things are, too? And she's just kind of been ignoring it this entire time because there's there's just never been a moment to stop. Uh, But that's not the end of the chapter. Things keep going from there. Uh, So this was kind of surprising. We go to the group of kids who had tried to stop Gigantomachia and they've found Midnight and uh, she's dead Um, at the very least she is put amongst a group of heroes who have died and it says so many died like (laughs) um, and they're crying over her you don't see exactly what happened to her which I think is an effective choice like you see Ashido is holding her limp hand and uh, that her mask is all crumpled and burnt on the ground uh, 
And then there's just this kind of montage of all of these different heroes who died in the battle. Uh, there's about, I think, 20 here. Or, or uh, 17, 18. Okay. But still, uh, you know, fair number, fair number. You know, you I, that would be pretty big, you know, if you just imagine like, hey, here are these very influential people in this world and they're just all dead at once. So, uh, yeah, like I had a weird reaction when I first saw this page because I was like, oh, midnight, I know her uh, crossed that. That was always hilarious. And I stopped for a bit and I was like, I don't. Oh, right. Act fucking discount. Cyclops is dead. And then I yep. kept looking and I was like, everyone else here is made up, I assume. And then there are people in the discord who are like, no, that's majestic how do you not remember majestic this character did a whole and native he was ida's best friend or something and i was <laughs> like my thought process was like it looked... native was gonna native was gonna be one of the ones that i was going to have you try and identify <laughs> so thanks for ruining that for me chat <laughs> there was a moment where i was like isn't it supposed to be a cameo that Daft Punk got murdered in the process of this? Because it does look like both members of Daft Punk's helmets are in there. The guy in the third row with the ripped open mouth, I believe that is the guy that Toga stabbed uh, in the fight, uh, like right before Gigantamachia emerged. So. so she murked him. Yeah. Yeah, well, what are you going to do, you know? Sometimes, sometimes you get got. I was going to tweet out a picture of the guy in the last panel and be like, oh, no, Daft Punk died. And I was like, without the context, it sounds like I'm announcing something. <laughs> I'm going to not do that now. No. So uh, after that, it's kind of like people just reacting to the news all around the place as they're kind of going about their day uh, of, you know, just different you know people just kind of like talking about, you know, what happened. And a lot of them are talking about. Hey, you know, what do you think about the whole thing with Endeavor? Because, I mean, that Dobby guy is pretty shady, shady and awful, obviously. But I don't know. I mean, like, what's going on with that? And they're saying, hey, maybe, you know, he's he's not going to be able to be a hero anymore and stuff. I'm sure he's going to have to have a statement ready by tomorrow and all that. Um, and then there's a little moment between two of the kindergarten that Bakugo and Todoroki had to uh, babysit basically as part of their hero training and uh, they're still kind of like yeah we're going to be fine you know we've got we've got five weenies and those guys looking out for us uh, so the world knows about all that stuff mm-hmm. and then we cut to the maximum security prison where all for one is still being captive but he's like okay things are didn't go exactly as I planned I can feel it. It won't be long now. And then we cut over to other all for one, the presence of all for one inside Shigaraki. And he's just kind of talking to himself while Dobby and Spinner look on. And he says, why do they assume tomorrow will come for them? I won't grant them a moment's rest because it's my turn now. And my turn will never end. Hear me, he's, tireless Nomu. He's a blue player. He's just gonna fucking solitaire into endless extra turns. Ugh, alright. He says he's going to send the Nomu to free his real body. Mm, that's much scarier. Well, I shouldn't say much. <laughs> I mean, I've... 
I don't know. I, I don't know what exactly would it be like if Nomu showed up to free all for one, but I know what it's like to have to just sit through someone's endless magic turns. So. Yeah. This is a very effective chapter. Um, it's, uh, in a way, it's like, yeah, we're going to kind of be getting our time skip thing, but then at the very end, all for one's like, nope, doing it right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, fuck you. No rest. I'm going to murder you guys. I still have three high end Momu and like two dudes who can really help, and Shigaraki's still technically alive. The body, at least, is with the powers. So, yeah. I mean, it's the best time for him to do it because everyone's still recovering from the absurd devastation that the, that whole battle caused. Yeah, uh, but I think that all that uh, the aftermath of that battle was done very effectively in terms of like, hey, yeah, uh, this really sucked. And here is all the bad stuff that happened because of it. So, yeah, I think I lo- I really liked the, the the first like three fifths of this chapter. I, I really, really liked everything. Um, the moment where Midnight's dead, I can appreciate the emotion of the kids. I didn't feel a ton for midnight being dead. Maybe just because I kind of forgot there was even that scene where she got overwhelmed at one point And then we kind of cut away, um, you know, for crust, it's kind of a joke because it's like, no, not crust the number six hero. Cause no one gave a flying fuck about crust, but we knew when crust died. You know, we knew when Exilus died, more or less. I mean, again, Exilus is also kind of a meme character. I don't really remember if we saw Majestic or Native die, or we're just being told that they died at some I point. I think they were just being told. So, uh, for of this screen, which is supposed to really be a hard-hitting moment, I don't actually have that me- that, like that much emotion to it because ha- like two of the characters we're supposed to care about were kind of jokes in the world, and then the rest of them I'm like I just don't like yeah like in my mind I'm just like I- I'm gonna ask probably like a year from now I'll be like whatever happened to midnight and you're gonna be like she died and I'm gonna be like oh right I guess yeah I guess she did die or something like that but I don't know, it just doesn't have quite the same weight I. I, it needed to almost be more of a moment or something like that if that moment was going to be our actual, you know, final scene. So I'm going to say that uh, I th- think that it's about what it should be. And honestly, uh, I think that your reaction is probably going to be roughly what a lot of like casual mm-hmm. readers and viewers of My Hero Academia are going to feel fantastic. I mean, I think are going to be a lot sadder about this because Midnight is a recognizable character from the series. And although she's never been especially important, uh, she is memorable because, you know, you know, uh, (laughs) but also like this is about the right tier of character, I think, to do something like this with because she's important enough that you recognize who she is. And, you know, if you care about the series then you probably do feel something about that, but she's not so important that you feel really bad about her being killed off this way. I know that there are going to be people saying like, Oh, midnight's so heavily involved in the, in, in, you know, the, the vigilantes side series. And stuff. Yeah. But that's, that's, that's not main my hero academia. Uh, people who just, you know, kind of casually experience my hero academia aren't going to have read that and stuff. Uh, and in terms of just the story of this series, she's not 
very important. Uh, whenever you think of like, okay, you know, teachers at UA, if you go down the list, it's probably like, you know, Aizawa. And then you remember, oh, right. All Might's a teacher at the school, technically, even though we never see him teaching anyone except Deku, uh, or subbing in for Aizawa. And then, you know, Nezu and then Midnight, probably. And if you have to go down that far in order to think of just the teachers at UA, it's, you know, it's, it's someone that you recognize and you're like, oh, right. Oh, that person's dead. But it's not someone that you want to have a big, huge, dramatic thing for if you've got more important things you want to move on to. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, I was going to say, if, if nothing else, I do think this is a very interesting chapter to start the year off. Um, and uh, I'll be curious to see if once uh, July 2022 comes around, if you'll be able to to pick that or January, I guess, rather, if you'll be able to pick this out as where we started the year off for my. Oh, well, I hope so. <laughs> I've got one that I feel pretty confident about, uh, but uh, hopefully this will be number two. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, well, you got to watch out because if you won't infamous uh, uh, ninja, it will uh, sash you in the discord about it. He he didn't give you credit for like half of the ones that I did. No, because because you two keep track of what chapters we're on differently. So <laughs> so when he messaged me about that, I had to be like, I don't know. It's up to Chris where things were. <laughs> I just believe him. <laughs> well, sometimes like that was like a chapter before wrong, and I was like, I don't know. <laughs> it's a game played for no prize between friends. Yeah. Sometimes like a, I stay close enough. It's not like there's a veto in the bank on the line. No, now. that's where it gets serious. We still haven't really decided on rules for that. Uh, <laughs> we'll we probably that should. <laughs> All right. Um, I think we're done talking about that uh, chapter, though. We oh. made our feelings, I think, uh, obvious on that. So, Chapter number eight. It's chapter number 21. Nick's, also the aftermath of a battle. Next series of the year. Yeah, I really like I really like the series. Really, I just want to introduce it that way. I know. I'm just, <laughs> just I'm getting preemptively de- defensive. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. It's not like this is a bad chapter. No, I like this chapter. Yeah. Uh, we but it does. Off... It does say it does sound like when I start with Nick's favorite series of the year as though you are beholden to the quality of the series. <laughs> We never learned the best written series in Shonen Jump. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, ah, shit, why did I say I'm going to be Kirisu chapter five? Why did I say that stupid thing? Uh, we start off with Kikoru just kind of, you know, casually sitting on a kaiju, on a, what is it, a Honju corpse? I forget what the hell you know, the tiers of kaiju are even called. I'm going to need to remember this eventually. She's sitting on one of the big mushroom thing's heads, you know, casually, like you do. Uh, kind of listening to reports come in and uh, he she thinks about Kafka briefly and then she's like, you know, seeing him transform like that reminded me of what he is. Is he really someone I can trust? And then Kafka stumbles back in his human form. He's like, I'm back. And uh, so she's clearly kind of like pleasantly surprised to see him. And Kafka's like, sorry, I made you worry. And Kikoru gets upset. And she's like, I wasn't worried. Baka. Uh, Kafka's tired though he collapses before she can protest further and so she helps him stay on his feet uh, 
Oh, it's and, so adorable because you hear her like, wait, just a mo-, and like she does like the fucking like you can just see like the after image of her from back when she was still sitting on there. She soups down just to, to help him stay up, basically. Kafka apologizes because he couldn't finish off the thing that hurt her. And Kikor is like, whatever, I'm just going to kill myself. So, uh, He starts to try and stumble off because he knows the Ijikawa and Yaharu are still hurt really bad. Uh, but before she, he can get, get away, she just kind of grabs him by the collar and stops him and says, look, I'm sure that they're fine. The Defense Force has been developing spin-off technology, which has tech that can utilize Kaiju's restorative abilities. And I... I mean, they did that with me, so I I know what I'm talking about. Uh, and so she just kind of like, you know, starts kind of lecturing him and Kafka realizes, wait, I'm like 14 years older than this girl and she's going <laughs> to uh, And she says, now that the officers spot you, you ran into Vice Captain Hoshina. I wouldn't be surprised if he's caught on to you by now. And we cut over to Hoshina who is kind of contemplating the battle he just had when, uh, oh gosh, I've forgotten her name. It's very simple. Mika? Asahi? Is it Asahina? Ashi- I forget it. Ashina. Or no. Ashino. Because it's Ash- Ashida and... <sighs> They're both Mina. Yes. It's like... Mina. A- Let's go with that. Okay. So <laughs> she comes across him and is like, hey, was Kaiju at number eight super strong? And uh, Ashido and Ashina. That's it. All, all right. right. Hoshina reports that he thinks the Kaiju number eight is a Daikaiju because of its level of strength. Uh, but he says, you know, number eight hasn't claimed any lives over the past few months. It doesn't seem like the type to attack people indiscriminate. And then he goes, hey, yeah. And he just starts thinking to himself after this. Ashiro. Okay, that's it. All right, never mind. I'm sorry. I've interrupted you six times to get the name wrong, and now I got it right. Ashiro. You're going to come back later and be be like, Asura! (laughs) Nick, there wasn't a character with her name at all. Never mind. You were just... We were both just hallucinating. There was just a blank page there. (laughs) (laughs) I show up. I'm like, Nick, there is no kaiju number eight. We've just been making up a series in our collective subconscious. Dreams are crazy. What are you talking about? We've never had weekly manga recap. (laughs) Nick, weekly (sighs) weekly manga recap died 10 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) We did it once and decided this isn't this isn't really working. (laughs) Just dropped it. One Piece. I'll never have be able to talk about One Piece for ten years. No. So, Oshino reflects more on the uh, on the battle, and he's like, "Why the hell did that thing just break my weapons instead of directly attacking me?" And you know, it wasn't really moving and fighting like a kaiju. It was more like fighting a human. So, Mina uh, tells him, "Like, hey, I'm gonna just take over from here. You go rest. No matter the type." Every kaiju must be neutralized, which I'm sure means that she'll never come across Kafka in his kaiju form. Never. Uh-huh. Uh, Oshina then gets a, gets a report from one of the other members of his troop, uh, Ikaruga, and he says, hey, I just got some intel. Uh, the, atta- the one that attacked them seemed to be a humanoid kaiju, but when they found the kaiju, it was apparently in human form. And so, of course, Hoshina realizes, oh, my God, wait, a kaiju that can transform into a human. Oh. 
So that, of course, just plays into the realization that he just had. So, uh, and so they follow up on this right away. Like, I, I think that this was early in the morning, so this might very well just be the same day. Uh, but later on, so they go to the monster cleanup crew, uh, that, uh, Kafka used to work for, uh, Hushina and, uh, a girl with glasses that I think was part of like the proctoring team, uh, when Kafka and Ichikawa were taking their, uh, their agent test. Probably. Uh, so they want to ask some questions about the missing worker that, uh, was working there and they're like, Hey, do you have any photos of him? And you know, if you have like, you know, pictures of his face from a variety of angles that really help. And they, they say, uh, yeah, is he all right? Can you tell us what's going on? And Oshina just says, any matter currently under investigation is classified, but we would appreciate our cooperation. And so it's like, yeah, we, we can't tell you, we can't, we can't just tell these people that, you know, your coworker might be transforming into a Kaiju or vice versa. That'd be uh, a little bad. And uh, when they walk away, the girl with glasses asking Hoshina, say, hey, I mean, is it, you know, bad that we're withholding this information from the public that, you know, a kaiju could transform like that? And Hoshina says, well, look, this is, you know, from the people front word from the top. We can't do anything about it. But look at it this way. Deaths and missing person reports have remained stable while the thing has been sneaking around as a human. We can assume it won't do anything to draw attention to itself. They probably figured it'd be a liability to stir the plot by going public with the news. That's not all, though. If no one knows who's a kaiju, it would cause widespread doubt among the masses. People would panic and start killing people with passing resemblances, inciting harassment, and even rioting. The most that we can do is make sure we find this thing. And now they have a picture of the guy's human form. I'm sure they'll find him. I'm sure Probably they the last thing that Hoshina makes note of is uh, but before they we cut scene from there is that the guy actually has a, a family register, which he thinks is surprising. But that gets explained right away as the toilet kaiju in his human form is walking down a road kind of unsteadily. A guy um, is driving and doesn't want to run him over. So he does the smart thing and he stops the car and gets out and is like, get out of the road. Oh, <laughs> yes, he he, just, he does the smart thing where he get he doesn't hit him and then immediately gets out of the car to antagonize the person. So the toilet kaiju turns around and you know lifts a finger to do his blast thing. But then he goes, actually, no, nah, I better not. It would be bad if I stood out some more. But then he sees his reflection in the in the window and is like, oh, but I should change my face just to be safe. And he, <laughs> the next time that the driver turns around to look at him, he's in his kaiju form with his arms out going, Bruh! and uh, we get a discretion shot as he presumably eats him and then changes his appearance to uh, have a human form. But, you know, he now looks like the guy he just ate. Uh, and we are told that uh, the guy's human name was Kanji Nagamine. Uh, or the guy he just ate is Kanji Namanime. Uh, and on the radio, there's a report about a guy, you know, the kaiju that uh, was sighted at the testing grounds, blah, 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 registered with the code name Kaiju number nine. And so Kaiju number nine is in the car. And he says to himself, 
how should I kill Kaijin number eight? And his head is turned into his monster appearance again. So he's like, oh, shit, did it again. And so he has to kind of get himself back into his disguise. And he says, I better lie low again until I've settled into my new skin. And that's the end of the chapter. So a lot more menacing than I think uh, we've seen Kaiju number nine up to this point. It was always kind of a little bit silly, even in the fight that he had with uh, Ichikawa uh, and uh, Ibino. It was he was always a little bit goofy. Yeah. Uh, And then Kafka kicked his ass. But uh, having him go about things this way makes him seem a lot more terrifying. Just that, you know, he could be anyone. I don't know why in my mind I get such Kira from part four Jojo vibes of just like the dude. He's now taken over the body of this like single living alone kind of guy with a fancy sports car. I know that's not even the situation. Like, I know that's what Kira was, but Kira wasn't taken over by a monster or anything like that. It's just in my mind, I'm like, oh, no, Skyju number nine is taking over Kira's body. It's a combination of super evils. Imagine what he could do with that plant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so this, man. this is a very big uh, kind of setup chapter. Like, OK, Hoshina's investigation is continuing. It definitely seems like Hoshina is going to be the next important character, probably to learn Kafka's secret. Uh, because he's getting he's a lot closer than anyone else, obviously. Uh, but um, also, it seems as though we're this is kind of going to be a thing like of, of kaiju that take on human guises, which gives a, a little bit. There is going to probably be a lot plenty more, you know, Kafka fights a big monster kind of th- situations. But there are also going to be more, oh, you know, uh-huh. villains with a form of intelligence for him to, to have to deal with. Yep. Okay. Fun chapter. I am going to make very brief mention before we move on to uh, Spy Family. There were some more one shots. Uh, for example, this week, in order to celebrate the 1000th chapter of One Piece, there was uh, another uh, Shokugeki no Sanji special by, you know, the team that did uh, Shokugeki no Soma. Um, it's a very nice little story. You know, it's, it's Sanji's making a fish for a guy. Uh, and Zoro kind of goes really soon, soon, soon. And, you know, kind of lets him use his sword without saying, here, you can use my sword. He's just kind of like, oh, I guess I'll use my sword here. But, you know, it's a big boy sword. You have to be really careful when using it. <laughs> kind of and, uh, you know, it was, it was, I will say, really weird to see a One Piece story that was set, you know, on the going Mary and you only see three of the straw hats because it's, it was set at a time like before chopper joins the crew, I think, but like Usopp's not there and Luffy's not there like at all. So it was a little weird. There's, there's a shot of Usopp, I believe where he gets like Mike Wazowski, like his face is covered up by the speech bubble. And I, I wonder if it's just because Sonseki didn't want to draw Usopp in his style. No, Well, there's other features of Usopp I could also understand not wanting to be part of part and parcel with. Okay. Um, and then there was uh, another Promise Neverland thing, and um, I've heard people say that this was like the canceled pilot or like a primordial form of Promise Neverland. 
because it, you know, features themes of like, you know, raising children purely to harvest their body for some purpose. Um, there's no demons. There's like criminal underworld stuff instead. And then at the very end of the story, there is a little girl who says she wants to write a story. And also there is a poster that is clearly for the promised Neverland. So I don't know if the implication is that this is a world in which the promised Neverland is an existing story, or if the little girl is going to write the story of the promised Neverland. It's a bit weird. So <laughs> uh, either way, this is clearly something that they like they did actually make, you know, now, but I guess people are saying that it was, adapted from the original idea that was then changed which (laughs) people are saying the reason we're getting all these big this like deluge of uh promised neverland one shots and things like that is because there's probably going to be a volume or an extra thing of the promised neverland put together because the big second season of this popular anime is coming out and the manga is gone. So they can't cross promote it any other way. Mm. So they're going to have the two authors work together and probably put out things like this as a way to kind of get some of that cross promotion going on. Um, I've said before though, I don't have an interest that my, my, my interest in the promised neverland is gone. It's zero. Now it is a base. I could not give less of a shit about the fact that this thing exists anymore. So uh, you know, it doesn't help too that people said this was not one of the better ones either. So. It was not. No, <laughs> you can see you can see why other stuff was added into this story. Because <laughs> like, without them, it's just kind of like, oh, these are just kind of people being assholes to each other. <laughs> so. Exactly what I want to read. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I guess it does make sense to kind of have like, Hey, do more promotional stuff, but I just don't know why it's like every month with this, but okay. All right. Spy family. The thing we actually wanted to talk about. Mission 38. Hey, Lloyd is able to actually get in touch with, uh, Oh God, what is his full name? It's, uh, the, the, it begins with D's. It's not Damien. Cause that's his son's name. Donovan Desmond that's his name Donovan Desmond Lloyd is confronting him we get a whole bunch of buildup just talking about like how important this is because of all the very influential people that are at this you know school mixer uh, that Donovan is a part of that's why Lloyd wanted to be able to attend that and that's why he's resorted to addressing going to all of the links that he has in order to talk to him even under kind of very thin uh, pretense. Uh, and during all of this, you know, Donovan is portrayed with these, you know, weird sunken eyes. There are some stylized shots of him, you know, looking kind of like intimidating and demonic. And because this is so important that Lloyd finds stuff out. And so Donovan, you know, is looking at Lloyd as, oh, yes, you know, and let me let me make an apology. I'm sorry. I, I hope that I can visit your home and make a more formal show of and then Donovan's like, oh, yes, I remember. My Hassoed staff told me what happened. Sorry that I've been too busy to respond personally. And Lloyd tries to kind of press, press, push the point again of like, oh, then I will bring a token of our regret. And he just, Donovan just closes his eyes, gives a big smile. And is like, oh, no, nah, it's fine. Nah, it's fine. It's, <laughs> it's very, it's a very great moment. 
Yeah, it's just boom, and it's a weird thing because at once it breaks the tension, but then as you kind of like go a little bit further, you just feel this different sort of tension start to yeah. pop to, to tighten up. And Damien speaks up and is like, "I mean, this guy's apologizing because his daughter attacked me." Are you and you're saying that that's fine? And it's like, oh yes, your son is right. I mean, my child physically assaulted him. I I do need to make amends. And again, he just goes, no, nah, it's fine. I appreciate the thought. It's fine. So Lloyd realizes, I was like, oh yeah, you're very, very very good of you, sir. And then he he's like, okay, I can't really push harder at this point without getting people suspicious. So this. God, I got to proceed really carefully. But at that moment, Damien is clearly upset because he realizes, like, does he not care that I got beaten up? And so he starts to, you know, like, you know, I was humiliated. My, I came home with my face all swollen. And he's not saying this out loud, but he's like, what, don't you care about me at all? Why aren't you angry? And Donovan takes a breath and just goes, <sighs> and you kind of realize oh yeah he doesn't really give a shit yeah he's kind of a shitty dad <laughs> so damien realizes that he's just kind of making trouble for himself and goes i'm sorry it's fine and then donovan goes right back to hmm, yeah, yeah. Yeah, see, no problem, no problem. Yeah. So, Lloyd uh, finds a way to proceed from there because he says, you know, you you have a right to be angry. You know, well, we're going to make sure this doesn't happen. And to be honest, Anya's behavior is so bizarre. I just don't know how to handle her sometimes. <laughs> and he just kind of like, oh god, <laughs> yeah, he slumps over, and all of the kids there are like, hmm, he's got a rough, yeah. And Lloyd says, you know, I understand I'm responsible for her, but I'm also aware of my limitations when it comes to managing the behavior of children. You can't just assume that because you're, they're your child, you'll be able to control them. That's only going to end in disappointment for everyone. Raising kids is a challenge. And Donovan kind of looks at him neutrally, I guess. He's got weird eyes, so it's hard to tell. And so Donovan says, you're right about that. Our children may share our blood, but they aren't us. They're essentially strangers. It is impossible to understand strangers. <laughs> Have you ever had this this moment when you're talking to somebody about something kind of universal and then they start to kind of agree with you and then they say the one thing that you're like, wait, what? Because <laughs> that's the moment. He's like, oh, yes, our children, they may share our blood, but sometimes yeah. they're like strangers. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I can kind of see that. And it's impossible to understand strangers. Um. I'm like, I don't <laughs> Where's this like, going? It feels like Damien's just had that moment because he's staring at his dad as Donovan's eyes narrow when he goes, in the end, people will never truly be sympathetic with each other. That's that moment where you're like, I think I just had to start having a conversation with Thanos or something. <laughs> what happened? And meanwhile, Lloyd in his spy mind is going like, ah, is that why you try to control other nations? Have I uncovered a core belief of yours? But outwardly, you're just like, oh, yeah, you're so right. It is so hard. You can't <laughs> understand. Me. Um, 
And he kind of he does that thing where, like, if you're talking to someone, you know, is way too far away from you, you try and agree with them in a way that frames their beliefs in a way that you can more closely relate to. Mm. I've had to do that in a way when someone's just like, oh, man, you know, the liberals just want to take everyone's guns. And I'm like, yeah, I guess, you know, sometimes the Democrats are can be kind of bad, you know? Yeah. Um, it's just like, <laughs> You're like trying to eject myself from this conversation, but I don't want to make you aggressive as it happens. So right, exactly. Uh, so he's like, "Oh yes, you know, I'm a psychiatrist, but sometimes I wonder if I can understand even ten percent of what goes on in my patients' heads, and it may be arrogant to think we understand others at all. What's important is meeting them in the middle, in spite of that." No, it's not. But uh, you know, he's he's got to make contact with this guy. He's got to you know make him have another conversation with him in the future and so he keeps on you know saying like oh yeah you know we've each got kids and you know sometimes a lot of stuff that my daughter says and does doesn't make any sense to me but by acknowledging her even when i don't understand i can create at least a little bit of an opportunity for dialogue and <laughs> there's a <laughs> There's a flashback where Anya is like, it turns to Lloyd and she says, I'm going to go stage a coupon, the candy shop, which I don't know how well that pun works in Japanese, but that's a really like, you know, because it's like, coo, coupon, coupon, because she's got a candy store coupon, but she's been watching too many spy flicks. Yes. Yeah. Candy anyway. store will probably have better fucking security than the Capitol, so you know Apparently. it might work out. So, Lloyd says, you know that sometimes this works, sometimes it doesn't, Mister Chairman. That's why you took the time out of your busy schedule to meet with your son today, right? And Donovan just kind of looks at him blankly and goes, "Yeah, I guess you could say." I <laughs> does not care. Uh. Lloyd also mentions to Damien that he knows that, oh, yeah, Anya knows that you've got a lot of respect for your father. And then he's like, yes, that social studies project on the job occupations. Anya was moved by your presentation. And it just has a little bubble that comes out of him saying this. This is this is a lie. So, you know, lying to children. That's what heroes do. So. Uh-huh. Uh, he talks for a bit more. Just kind of like talking about, oh, maybe sometime I can, you know, blah, blah, blah. And eventually Donovan just kind of, you know, gives him one of those weird smiles. And he says, hmm, you're an interesting fellow. Your name's Forger, right? Hmm, I've enjoyed this, Mr. Forger. And Lloyd's like, okay, I'm going to have to settle on with that for now. Uh, and so they're getting ready to leave. And uh, as he turns, he looks at, Lloyd looks at Damien and says, by the way, can you not mention to Anya that we talked? Because she's at an awkward stage and, you know. You must think that she hates you, but I suspect that that's not the case. I'd be much obliged if you would try to get along with her. And Damien goes, it's not like I, I, I hate her. And it, his friends are still there, so of course I mean, he's going to be like, ah, I'm not going to hang out with some peasant girl. And so the Sundere continues. Uh, and so Lloyd leaves. That leaves Donovan with his father. Donovan is like, what did you want from me? Because that's the entire reason you showed up for this meeting. And so Damien tries to be like, nothing really. But he remembers all the stuff that Lloyd and Yanya both have said over the last couple of chapters. And so as Donovan's getting set to leave, he says, on the midterm exam, I, I got a stellar star. 
and it's only one and but i got close on some of the others i mean i didn't do real well in the reading um and i made the i made i uh, i made a griffin in art class and it won first prize and um um, um and donovan looks at him in a way that i hope that no one has to bear their father looking at them which is what the fuck do i care and he says hmm so that's so good for you and Damien asks, why did you agree to see me today? And Donovan's like, it was just a whim. Think nothing of it. Damien continues striving not to besmirch the Desmond name. And Damien's pleased by this. Oh, God. <laughs> you know how hungry you are for just the yeah. littlest morsel of fucking affection? And you're just like, I don't care. It fell on the fucking floor and it's a little dirty, but I can, I can still eat it. I can still savor this. Feel really bad for this kid now, seeing what his relationship with his father is like up close. Uh-huh. Lloyd is left to contemplate how all this happened, and you know he's like, "Yeah, he's a very inscrutable person." Uh, so I'm just gonna have to like proceed carefully, and I'll, I'll take what I've learned to HQ and analyze this. Damien kind of celebrates with his friends, and they're like, "Yeah, we're gonna get still the stars." Lloyd goes back home. Anya's asleep. Yor tells him. Yeah, uh, she she was just asleep when she arrived, and she hasn't woken up since. And Anya's talking in her sleep about uh, the two of them fighting the super boss together. So Lloyd just kind of goes, uh, she doesn't have a care in the world. Yeah. It's a good it's a good chapter. Um, I, I started watching, I don't know if you've heard of this show before. It's on Apple Plus. Ted Lasso is the name of the show. Uh, it's done by Bill no. Lawrence, who was the same guy who created like Scrubs and I think Cougar Town or something like that. Um, I decided to give it a watch, uh, mostly because I got Apple Plus as a gift for my brother for Christmas. Uh, but I decided to give it a watch just because I, I heard enough about it. And there's an episode where, because you're kind of meant to think one person is the bad guy throughout the show. And then you meet the person who is basically their antagonist. Uh-huh. And, in, and in a single moment... You realize, like, holy shit, I fucking hate this new character so much. He is the biggest fucking asshole in the goddamn world. And it it just creates a villain in that moment that you're like, that is a goddamn effective goddamn move right there. And that was what happened here with Donovan, where I was like, in a single chapter... You subverted my expectations to this character, but we've given him kind of like a little bit of a goofy personality. Some of that might just be how they're translating the way he says things. But, you know, a lot of it is definitely he's like, oh, he seems more affable than I expected. And then he'll have those things he'll say where you're like, oh, no, you're a fucking cock and I hate you. So it's brutal. Yeah. Um, And it really does inform like, oh. Yeah, this makes sense why Damien is such a try-hard brat. Like, he thinks that he's got to, like, win his dad's affections, and this makes sense why he's got that kind of... His only friends are people who are his underlings, basically. He doesn't really... He hasn't been raised in a household where, like, you know, you can just get along with somebody. And uh, that sucks, so... Yeah, I think it's a great chapter, but it does make me very sad for, for Damien. All right, so let's move on, Chris, to the most exciting chapter of the week, World Trigger! Uh, I do have a problem with this chapter, World Trigger. Uh, Off the bat, 
uh, a color spread uh, where Tamakoma 2 is being served by Tamakoma 1, except fucking Konami still gets to just hang out and eat at the table while everyone else has to fucking be waiters and shit. This is fucking ridiculous. Why does Konami get to eat, but Scarfy Hottie has to work? Huh? I feel like this kind of dynamic has actually shown up in the series proper at some point. <laughs> Where, like, I, she was supposed to cook and they were just like, no, so. <laughs> Probably. I mean, it makes sense. It just, I was like, I looked at the art and I was like, oh, it's because everyone from Tomacoma 2 gets to get served here. I was like, wait, 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 why the fuck's Konami there? <laughs> I also think Jean just showed up to just kind of, like, watch. Probably. So. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh,. So we start off for the third and final round of the draft. Uh, oh, everyone draws man, I wanted fucking I, I wanted fucking uh, uh, Ninomiya to get number one again so bad. <laughs> so, well, um, I, I got one right. Uh, uh, one of my predictions, right? Which is that the guy from, uh, oh god, what's her fuck, Katori, the guy from Katori Squad, uh, yeah. oh gosh, what's his fucking w- name? W- Watasuma or something like that? Wakamura. Yes. Uh, he gets the first pick. And so he thinks about the situation. It's like, oh shit, what do I do? Well, if at first, because he's had to, you know, have the dregs every single time up to this point. And so he looks over stuff. He's like, okay, well, I could take Inukai. You know, he's easy to get along with. He's got some good skills, but oh, the combat phase, that would mean that we would have to, you know, rely on just shooting a ton of bullets whenever we get into f- combat. And if we're going to have a really long combat, then I don't know if that's going to work. In that case, I'd probably, I'd rather have like a solo powerhouse who could just smash the competition and he's, you know, thinking about Katori. So he's like, all right, well, I could get Kitora, I could get Yuba. And people are just kind of like on the sidelines being like, oh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> some guy in the background, like fucking pick. <laughs> <Hurry up!" laughs> they bring up like the Minnesota Vikings countdown clock. <laughs> <laughs> I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> so he selects Hughes. So it's like, Ah, there you go. Like the guy, the guy we've been following this whole time, he picked Hughes because we got to follow. We got to, you know, keep in mind who all these people that are, you know, that uh, Tom coming to are winding up on our. Uh, we then see everyone else's picks, uh, and then Sua t- picks Katori, which means that Osamu and Katori are on the same squad. Uh, Kodera picks Kitora. Uh, there's a few more, and then we get to Nina Mia, who is the eighth pick out of eleven. That's the only like bad pick that he's got, and so he's looking through the choices, and he's like, "All right, I don't really care." <laughs> this final pick. He's like, "This one's just pure fucking gravy," and can it's just how fucking stupidly I guess stacked this class was in comparison to everyone else. It's like the eighth pick. He's like, "I could pick between uh, Emma." Or fucking Obishima, who was get made like a pretty big deal of as well too, and he's just like, I guess I'll get one of these drags. <laughs> yeah, and so he's looking at that and he's like, okay, well, let's see here. I don't care. 
I do know that Emma gets along well with Amatori, and he looks at the back of the room, and Yuzuru is like going, he's willing it into existence. So he's just like, fine, I'll pick him. <laughs> so everyone reacts like, oh wow, the dude's just got like all snipers supporting him. And then, honestly, very cute moment. Because Chica realizes that she and Yuzuru are going to be on the same team. And she's like, ah! And she, like, is waving to him across the, uh, the, across the alley. And he's like, yeah, hi, hi. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we get the last couple of picks. Obishima ends up on OG Squad. Uh, and uh, that's kind of it. We get this whole thing of, like, this is where everyone and what everyone's lineups are. Uh and then the meeting's not quite over yet because then they're like, all right, these are your, all your lineups. These are the people you're going to do for the selection test. Uh, we're going to tell you where and when it is later. Uh, do you have any questions? And so I don't think we've ever actually seen this guy before. Uh, we haven't we haven't met him before, but he's been referenced before. Uroshima. Yeah, this is this is uh Rambo guy. He's he's a he's a guy on a squad that's just him. Oh, okay. Yeah. So uh, he's like, hey, so um, Commander Kido said that if we turn down the mission, then acing this test means, yeah, we we that's a nice mark on our records. But uh, what does that actually do for us? And I mean, like going on these missions has been part of the job description for a rank agents. Right. So does that mean that if I pass this test? You'll treat me like I'm a rank, like you'll give me a rank pay, <laughs> which they don't really talk about salary very much in this series. So it is nice to have this guy who's like, yeah, um, so I'm wasting my time doing this. What are you going to pay me? <laughs> and we learned at this point that the big difference between a rank and B rank agents is that uh, B rank agents get paid on commission. A rank agents get commission from defeating neighbors and also they have a fixed salary so they're like actual employees basically so he says like you know if you aren't going to give me that kind of incentive then i mean i might as well just not participate in this test and join the defense efforts because that way i'll actually you know be making money when during defense stuff there's a moment though where i have to stop i'm like because if you're if like the idea is B rank agents only get paid on commission and commission is based off of neighbors defeated, does that not disincentivize you to certain things? And also, what does that say about operators? I guess they get paid on a scale basis then, because or do they get paid based off of what members of their squad kill monsters or? I don't know. All right. Anyway, Keto Keto tells him that he's not going to get that anyway. (laughs) (laughs) He does. But he says, you can't get A-rank benefits without actually passing an A-rank advancement test. But uh, I understand if you want to have fair compensation for the test. So how about this? In addition to the standard payment schedule for neighborhood missions up to now, which is always included base paying commissions based on success, we can also offer... A mission stipend of 10,000 yen per day. And for the full duration of the upcoming mission, even the agents who pass this selection test but choose not to participate in the mission itself will receive half of that daily stipend, 
given that this mission will be the longest one to date, even have the bonus pay will amount to a tidy sum. So people go like, okay, so if you do like half of 10,000 yen a day, that's 150,000 yen per month for doing nothing. So I saw it was like, yeah, here, have an extra $1,500 a month. And so he's like, yeah, okay, that's, that works for me. Cool. <laughs> so he, I guess he'll be motivated to try and actually do well in this test now. Sua is watching all this happen. He's like, he just kind of like said that they were going to pay everyone all that money. Was this like part of his plan? Because he didn't really act like it was a big deal. So Osamu thinks for a second because they're like, hey, if no one's got any more questions, then we're done. So he raises his hand like a good boy. And he says, the other A rank, well, are the other A rank agents going to be joining us for the test? And they go, yes and no. The people in A rank will not be here to participate, but they will participate in phase two. And during phase one, they'll be judging all of you. And it turns out that uh, they've actually been watching the proceedings behind like one one way glass this entire time. Uh, and we get. Yeah. Everyone from from a rank basically is there. A whole bunch of characters that we've seen before. So. Yeah. Uh, you know, it. I do love the move of fucking Uega being the dude who's front and center on the one panel, which, I mean, to be fair, I don't think we know anybody on the left side of that screen. At least that uniform is absolutely new. But I do like that Tachikawa and uh, Izuma are in the back and fucking, like, Uega's like, yes, I'm here representing Tachikawa squad. <laughs> and I'm like, fucking who? <laughs> So, you know, there's there's some interesting stuff in that. Um, I don't know. I, I, I guess I'm kind of excited at the prospect of all of this. But at the same time, I also sit there and I'm like, we are not going to see this fucking away mission until 2022, at least at the earliest. Even then, I'm like, probably not. There's probably a lot to get through this year. Uh, but hey. There's some cool stuff that still happened out of all this, and uh, it should be fun. Speaking of things that are fun, Nick, let's talk about Eden Zero, Chapter 124, Kiss and Die. Kiss. Kick, kiss, kiss, die. Kiss and die. What's that? Oh, the fuck was that arcade game? Skate. Skate or or die. Die. Uh, Skate or die. Uh, Anyway, it opens with Rebecca's butt and her jeans. I'm afraid I have to tell her this. Her jeans are ripping, I believe. Uh, yeah, in a she, place that you really expect them to rip, too, on yeah. the side. Now, to be fair, it looks like she was aware of this problem before because she had to chain the other side of her jeans <laughs> closed. So she might be aware of this. Stickers are like there is patches. They're, they're load bearing. If those stickers are removed, the, uh, the structural integrity of the jeans is ruined. <laughs> uh, anyway... I, I don't even remember this. Apparently at the end <laughs> Apparently end of last chapter, Elsie and uh Justice decided to start fighting. Uh Justice who revealed that like if he I guess activates his ether gear, he just looks exactly like Gerard from Fairy Tale or Siegfried from Fair uh Rave Master. They decide they're gonna have a fight because they hate each other. Fight fight fight. The there's a clash. Uh Lieutenants from the Interstellar Justice Army or whatever are intercepted by the two dudes from Elsie's crew. I know all these characters have names, but I just don't care about them, so I refuse to learn them. 
Um, basically, the two dudes working for Elsie are there to get Hamora back. Uh, the one kind of shaved head guy from the Justice crew now thinks Hamora's kind of cute. Um, we see a bit of some of their abilities, and one guy basically has Natsu's, Natsu and Grey's powers from Fairy Tale, and one of the Justice guy is Makarov, it looks like, mixed with Elfman. Um, they pretty much have all identical powers in that way. Um, the fight happens between Elsie and Justice. It's... <sighs> Time not, for backstory. It's not particularly interesting because it's just a bunch of like generic like swing slash moves. Uh, Elsie drops a big fucking twist twist in here because it's like that was a good shot, Justice, or should I say James Holloway? And I'm like, nope, I don't care about this. I do not care that he has a real name. Uh, James Holloway, I guess, is slightly better than the name Justice, but. Uh, we get, yeah, there's, like, a scene where they all have gotten their dragon fucking ball Z Super Saiyan power level, like, auras, and they're jumping, spinning around, slashing, just like, no, if this had been real justice, then you would have seen it. No, I lost everything in that, that ordeal, the stuff I have to be vague about. Uh, there's a flashback to when Elsie and Justice were little, little kids, uh, and they were on a fancy uh, planet, and and he was a prince, mm-hmm. and she was a princess, mm-hmm. and <sighs> and Elsie's just like, mm-hmm, we're gonna get married when we go to right? So you have to kiss me. And Justice is shy; he's just a little kid. Oh, what is he gonna do? Before they actually kiss, Elsie's like, no. On second thought, let's save it until we're older, because we're gonna, you know, it'll be romantic that way. And they have a moment where they're really, really close to one another. And they're like, it's just like that day all that time ago. Maybe let's maybe let's finish what we started. And they get closer and they kiss. And then we pull back and they've stabbed each other through the stomach. And they both bleed out and they die. And that's the end of the story, Nick. We don't have to deal with them anymore. I mean, I'm going to believe you until I turn this page. So. No, they're both fine. They both stab each other and they're like, I'll kill you. No, I'll kill you. That's what we're here about. And then a fucking robot walks by and is like, Shiki, your gravity isn't strong enough yet. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, it's a chapter. <laughs> oh, what I wouldn't give if Eden Zero just had like that one of those, you know, like adult swim kind of approaches to doing dramatics, just like very blunt, not, you know, weighty at all kind of stuff. I was like, Shiki, you are destined for greater things. <laughs> Shiki, get up. You haven't unlocked all of your power, your gravity. Shiki. Shiki, gravity. You Get up, you lazy asshole. Shiki. Shiki, I'm talking to you ominously. Shiki. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if this mysterious robot's supposed to be somebody. It might just be Ziggy doing yeah. something here. I... Just have to assume because the robot's also talking about like the gravity is the weight of the heart. Your heart isn't in the abyss. Like all that stupid line stuff. So, you know, maybe that's what it is. <laughs> um, Eden Zero is getting to the point where like I wonder if it is just self parody. But then I remember like, no, Hero's just written this way for the past 20 years and he's just mm. kind of keeping going, you know. You can't like it, it's just so 
bad. But, like, I wasn't not entertained by this because it features a bit where Justice and Elsie are like, oh, yeah, I remember when we we were thought about how we would, you know, live and together and love each other and they, they, they kiss and then they've just both stabbed each other. Like they both did it. And it's just, you know, such an instantaneous thing of like, ah, I was just doing that to try and stab you. And it's like, but we, you don't know the characters at all. So it's impossible for there to be any weight behind it. Even if you did care about this. So I just, it's so silly. Like I, I'm just con- consistently mesmerized by how dumb this this kind of stuff is. It's so look, there's somebody out there, and I shouldn't say somebody. There are a lot of people out there. People like this series, people like Hero's work. Uh who this is going to be uh an amazing chapter, a very romantic chapter in a very twisted way because there is a moment of oh they love each other but they hate each other so much and those are such complicated feelings it's you know what a dichotomy look we all had a time in our life where we listened to an emo band and we thought it was the deepest most poignant shit we've ever heard we all had it happen we can't we had a time when we wrote a fan fiction where this exact (laughs) sequence took place in exactly this garbage execution (laughs) i will say this though uh, despite all of that, there is no reason why we have to do this with the exact same two fucking characters who had <laughs> the same shitty romance in the last series. I don't know. They're, sig- <laughs> They're heroes signature OCs, Chris. He has to insert them into every fanfic he writes. I was like, was that anyone's favorite part of fair of yeah, fucking fairy tale where they're like, oh man, you know what? I'm glad the series is going on. No, but what do I do that there's not any Jamar? more gerard urza fucking romance and something like hero was like don't you worry their romance will fucking transcend realities that every fucking universe i create the urza xp and the fucking gerard xp are destined to get together in the same shitty bland romance they always have here we are. This is just one. There's going to be like an old West series or something like that, or like a, a post-apocalyptic series or something. And there's going to be like Wasteland Urza. And then like Gerard is like a sandworm in that universe, but he could turn into the same sexy looking dude. And they have like a complicated relationship or some shit like that. I don't know. It's going to be a new stupid romance in every universe hero creates, but you always have it. There's a constant. Yeah, I guess so. All right, that's it. All right. Magu. Chapter 26. The mom, Rui Miyanagi. Uh, Rui starts this chapter off. She and her mom have just gotten back from the uh, station. And uh, she introduces Magu to her mom. And Magu's like, I am Magu Manuaku, the destroyer. Bow before me, lowly human. And Rui's like, he looks more delicious than I imagined. It's an interesting reaction. She's like, oh, the guy of destruction. It looks like he looks like he would be good to eat. Anyway, she introduced herself as Rui. Shakes tentacles with Magu. Uh, they have a little bit of a celebration for Christmas and stuff while Magu is kind of looking on. He's clearly like, my number one minion has someone that she thinks is more important than me. No! Uh, feeling kind of resentful over it, wondering what the hell power Rui holds that she could hold this place in Rui's life. 
Uh, and then she she goes, oh, wait, I, I remembered I have another Christmas present for you. And Maga's like, oh, she is plotting to gain her trust through material goods. And she says, apparently, this is very valuable abroad. And she takes out a toy? Um, it's a cat on a platform with wheels that has a crank in the back and a propeller on the front. And it has a very unappealing face. Like, I like cats. It's not a good-looking cat. Is that supposed to be a cat? I thought there was a dog. I guess it could be a dog. You're right. In my mind, I thought it was supposed to be almost like, uh... BS or something like bit, that. Yeah, yeah, a little bit Shiba Inui kind of. And I guess it could be. Uh, whatever anyway, it is, it's horrifying. It also looks not- like it's made of gelatin or something. I don't know. So both of them just kind of go like, I don't really know what this is. <laughs> <laughs> so Rui's like, I mean, I think you're supposed to wind this crank in the back. And they do that. And it starts shuddering and smoke comes pouring out of its nose. And... Maga kind of just speaks for everyone where he just goes, what is the meaning of this? To be fair, if you ever grew up poor, there were a couple toys you're like, I don't understand what the purpose of this is, but I only have like seven things in my life right now, so you are a treasured childhood memory now, and you love it forever. Do you have like any specific examples of that? Uh, I had like a giant fucking ninja, but it wasn't from anything like a like a like a like a i mean my when i was six he was fucking huge it was probably only like that big i don't remember where i fucking got it from though i guarantee it was like two dollars at like a kb's toys shelf and they were just like he's a boy he probably likes ninjas or something like that and then uh you know he was my best friend growing up (laughs) i don't know what to tell you (laughs) i thought you were going along the lines of like you know toys that are very popular and so you just get them, and you don't know why they're popular. <laughs> oh, I mean, those are also a thing. But yeah, no, there's stuff that too where you're just like, all right, I guess, uh, fucking. Why do I have a Furby? Well, because every other kid had one, and so. <laughs> why do I? Why do I have a blur? Why do I have a blurby? They're like, because Furbies are sometimes a little too expensive, but this one is just as annoying and awful. Why do I have a joke at me ECMO? Like, <laughs> I think my brother has the best one because when they were kids, they got a Super Nintendo and it came with two games. One was uh, like a Super Mario Duck Hunt crossover. And then the other game they had their entire lives, they never got another one, was Dino Ricky, a game I have yet to hear anyone talk about before. And they were just like, we just played either one of those two games for our entire life. By the way, didn't have the laser gun to actually play Duck Hunt with, I don't think. So, <laughs> so you really just said Super Mario. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're gonna have one game, I guess. Yeah. So, our anyway, um, Rui at that moment observes, like, "Hey, it's it's kind of cold in here. Do you want to turn the heat on?" And Rui says that she avoids using the thermostat because the electricity bill. She just uses a blanket to keep warm. Uh, and Rui gets uh, upset about this, and she, like, pinches her cheeks and says, come on, you don't need to live that frugally. What happens if you get get sick? So she's like, all right, I'm going to have to take out the you-know-what. That's right, Chris. She's taking out that. Got to get that. That thing. Which, for some reason, Rui thinks is a a drastic dire measure, when in really she's just going to go get the kotatsu out. For those of you not aware, a kotatsu is basically this special table with a 
blanket lining it, and uh, it gives you warm because it's got a heater in some cases. There it, it does. It, I was going to say, like, in my mind, I always was like, oh, is it that special? And then I started to think about it. I was like, shit, that does actually sound pretty fucking comfy. Like a big, big old blanket with the fucking space heater underneath it, basically. Even if you don't have the space heater, just having like a thing that like, you know, you just kind of stick your legs under the table and it's just got a blanket there. It's like, ooh, that'd be nice. Yeah. So Anyway, they get that out, but there's a problem, which is they don't actually have a cover for it. They just have the frame and the heater in the middle. So they're like, hmm, all right, well, I guess we can't really, you know, use it. But then Mog was like, foolish, lowly human. And is this what you were after? And he has just melted his body to drape it over the table. Uh, And he says, come, feel my warm embrace. Ew. But um, Rui is just like, oh, yeah, all right. Thanks, Mog-chan. And she just dives under it feet first and immediately goes to sleep lying underneath it. And, uh... Mag is like, my control is complete. Is this the lowly human revered above all others? So, time passes. Night falls. Mag is now disappointed in Ruru's mother. But, uh, as Ruru has gone to sleep, Mag realizes that there's a light still on the house because Rui is still awake and she has, uh, she's working on stuff. She's got a laptop to do some work at home. And uh, she's like, oh, did I wake you? And Maga's like, negative. I have slept for 600 years. So apparently he doesn't sleep. There you go. That makes sense. That's where he gets all of his reading of manga done. Ah, yeah, man. Imagine how much more manga you could read if you didn't have to fucking sleep. <laughs> I know. So uh, they have a little private conversation. And she says, you know, I, you know I'm, I'm sorry that I can't be here. I'm glad that, you know, you stay with for the brew and keep her company. I'm, I'm sure she must be lonely because I work abroad. Uh, my job's more stable overseas, but, you know, I, I can't really come home very often. But I keep on working because, you know, I have this dream. I, I want to be the type of mom that Rue can look up to, that, that she never has to feel insecure again. I'm earning money to pay for her tuition so she can lead whatever life she chooses and unfortunately, I'm afraid that's the reason Rue is worrying about money all the time and pinching pennies and stuff. Uh, and Magu's like, I see. It matters not to me. <laughs> <laughs> it just pours everything out. He's like, I see. I do not really care about any of this. <laughs> your, tri- your matters do not trivialize or concern me. <laughs> But he's already taken his place on top of Ruri's head. Now that I'm up here, I do not care. I see y'all. <laughs> so uh, Ruri's like, well, you know, thanks for listening anyway. But hey, what about you? What's your dream for the future? And Maga says, I have no dreams. What you humans call dreams are just unattainable ambitions. I am a mighty being. Nothing is outside my grasp. And right now, my eye is on you. And he reaches into his maw and he pulls out the best friend's book. And he's like, you motherly, mothery, foolish, lowly human, inscribe your name upon the book of the destruction disciples blows and make yourself my follower. And Rui looks at it and she's like, oh, this is a friend book I bought for you. <laughs> it's just like, ah, oh, Magu, you and your world domination stuff, who cares? So she writes her name in it. Da, da, da. My control is complete, he celebrates. And then he asks her, uh, She sa- actually, she says to him first, hey, what about this dream? 
I want you and Rue to make lots of friends and fill up every page of this book. That can be your dream. Uh, your dream can be all of humanity. Consider it world domination. And Rue, and Magu really likes the sound of that. He imagines himself sitting on top of the world with the best friend's book over his head. So, I will get everyone to be my best friend and dominate the world. Yay. So, but then she asks, what is your desire? I shall destroy anything that you wish. And she thinks about this for a second because now that Christmas is over, I'd like your help with something tomorrow. And we cut to the next day as Rue gets out of bed and uh, Rui has a mop in hand and she's like, oh yeah, there's breakfast in the kitchen for you. Uh, and Rue wonders what she's doing, but Rui says, yeah, this is the perfect time for me to do a deep clean. You know, we just, we need to clean up that storage room and find the blanket for the Kodatsu and stuff. Uh, so Rui is worried about, about her and says that she should be relaxing. Rui says, it's okay. Maga-chan's helping me. And, uh, Rui looks down at the mop and, uh, there's no brush on it. It's just Magu between the clamps of the mop and he's being scrubbed around on the floor and then dipped in the bucket and he just says I shall cleanse all dust and filth in no time and um that's basically it there's a few panels of of wrap up but basically you know the year ends and the mom and daughter get to spend some time with Magu and yay that's that's it so yep Uh Magu's a good mop yep he's a very good mop uh this is a fun little chapter there's not honestly a whole ton to it um, but it's nice, you know, we get to see Ruru's mom and, uh, she's nice, you know, good. It's good to know that that, that girl has some good fun things in her life. And, uh, yeah. you know, I guess that's really where it, it begins and ends. I'm happy for her. Yeah. I mean, it's really just kind of like Magu's doing his things while a little story happens around him and he's just not paying attention to any of Yeah. It. <laughs> All right, so let's go into Dr. Stone, Z equals 180, sickening yet beautiful. Uh, So everyone is going across South America. They're riding their motorcycles and stuff. We cut over to Stanley's group, and they're saying, like, oh, yeah, they've evaded us. Uh, Stanley says the Junior Science Brigade got away. They've won the first half. But uh, his tracker guy is like, this is good enough. Our real reason for flying after them was to track their bike trails. Now we know the exact route those science kids took. Uh, Some people are like, oh, but can they have just left a decoy? But people are like, no, well, that's why we actually came after them so quickly. That's why we actually broadcast we were going to fly after them so quickly was to make it so that they didn't have any time to lay out a decoy like that. This way we know exactly where they're headed. We can just track them directly. And now we know where they're going. So there you go. Uh, they have to trek through a river and they can't exactly ride their bikes across it. So uh, Senku brings up that as they're going through this place, they cannot do it just by their bodies or they'll die. And so fortunately... Because there's leeches in the river, basically. Yeah. Rainforests suck, is essentially what he says. My All dad right. drank out of the Amazon rainforest, I believe, so... I don't know. I don't know why that came to my mind. It's just like... I feel like bad ideas run through my family. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm sure certain parts of the Amazon are safe to drink from. Probably. But uh, if you're he also, stranger- he also drank the water from Mexico and now he has to shit himself after he eats a meal. So, <laughs> yeah, I would not advise just drinking from any old place unless, you know, like you have an expert specifically tell you it's safe to drink from. Yeah. So anyway, with all the rubber that they've been able to make, uh, they've they can make rubber boots. And so they're able to wade through the water safely yeah. without and worrying about leeches. Of course, two things rubber boots provide. One is uh, the safety and security to know that you're not going to get cut. Two is those sexy thigh silhouettes. Look at you, Kohaku. Ooh. I will say this is actually probably like the actual sexiest panel in Shonen Jump. <laughs> As much as Ayakashi Triangle tried. It just makes me laugh because it's like we can't possibly the things that are in the water, all these bugs would be dangerous to not wear boots. Kohaku, go walk through with your like flimsy skirt thing and no no jacket. You got it. (laughs) We don't have to worry about the rest of your exposed skin. That's fine. Can you lift your skirt up a few millimeters higher (laughs) while you do this too? (laughs) My favorite part of this whole, of this whole sequence, because we kind of see everyone, you know, making their way in the rainforest, you know, like as they're wading through stuff. So we could climbs up a tree and grab some fruit. And then there's just, Oh, we need some meat. And there's just this gigantic Python to comes charging in to attack them. And Sukasa just kind of like, casually standing in front of it with his sword and then the next panel it's in pieces and they're barbecuing it uh it just i just love that picture of just like there's the snake and then there's sukasi just like yep there's a snake yeah. yeah so uh then uh there's a few other things about how they're like you know uh xeno is keeping mosquitoes at bay and then Siku gets a a moment of realization when they bring up the bugs and he's like quiz time what's the strongest living thing in the Amazon rainforest and Taiju just points at Tsukasa Tsukasa Tsukasa." (laughs) Um, but uh, Tsukasa says no not even I would stand a chance against the kings of the Amazon and the world's mightiest creatures army ants Army ants are fucking scary. So. Oh, yeah. I've read Line Again versus the ants. I know how fucking terrifying these things are. I haven't, so. Oh, that was. It's a great book, but it's fucking terrifying. It's all this dude trying to, like, basically protect his plantation from being, like, torn apart. And I guess in retrospect, you kind of want the ants to win in that case. But the ants are horrifying. He's, like, sets up, like, a river of petrol. And he's like, that'll stop them. And then, like, the ants just sacrifice themselves into it, and the rest of them ride the corpses across the water. And he's like, do I even bother lighting it on fire at this point? <laughs> like, it's, like, it's They'll just smother great. it eventually. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's great, dude. Lining it versus the ants is fucking dope. <laughs> cool. Uh, so Seka says, like, yeah, army ants. And we get this weird bit where Luna looks at them and goes, no! And, like, all the ants are, like, censored out. But there's the note of Luna the Bug Hater's view, which makes me wonder if just Boichi didn't feel like drawing that many ants. She's scared of them. That means I can censor them out. He's like, what character would hate ants? Fuck it. One of the new ones. Why not? (laughs) I can say anything I want. I write this thing. I can believe that Luna would not like ants. I don't like ants. Nobody likes ants. Except for, you know, people who like them. Yeah. 
Ants, probably. I bet they yeah. like them. Fucking yeah. ants. And uncles. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> Great A humor. Only from We Come Out Greek. <laughs> so, uh, but they freaking of uh, Chelsea and Senku have this handy dandy jar trap thing for the ants and um then they um kill them and turn them into a cocktail of sorts I don't really know the science behind this but anyway they've made an extract from the ants and some other chemicals and they can turn it into a repellent because they've got you know like ant form pheromones and stuff on them uh luna is very upset to learn that she has to wear ant juices and she faints anyway they ride down the amazon it's just like a water slide they're riding on rafts they are not actually using, i got like, a water slide. so bad idea i got so confused at first and i thought they invented a water slide and i was like well now come on you can't make a big deal about the boots and then you all ride barefoot down this water slide i was like oh wait this is a visual representation of what they're actually doing and they are wearing their boots so you know it worked out so now they can just ride the current down the river hooray uh so then they bring up the point of like okay you know we 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 can't you know just like go back empty-handed after all this way that we've come from uh gen brings up okay you know we're trying to find this you know petrification beam but it could require a whole ton of labor given how tiny the device is but uh at that moment uh kaseki looks at chrome who's been working on something and he says well yeah, I'm trying to come up with a way that I can get this to automatically shoot a puff of the ant extract into the air at a set time. And he's like, you know, like how the Medusa light works, where you set it on a set timer by speaking the time. And then he turns to Senku after thinking about that, and he's like, hey, I just got a flash of inspiration about a machine to guard against the Petra Beam. You know, like, like on Treasure Island, you did that whole stunt where you timed the wave and you tossed the revival fluids so would fall on you after the wave hit you. You know, what if we had something that did that, like a device that acted on a constant timed drip? And Senku, of course, has already thought of this because that's what Senku does. He's always thought of everything. Uh, and he says, all right, pretend you're the Y-Man for a second. How would you account for a sneaky trick like that? Or what if the device was a dud? How would you make certain that all of humanity got hit by the wave? And Sukas is the one to answer. And he says, with a multi-stage attack, firing multiple Petra beams. And so they think about that. And Gen says, so you're saying maybe there's more than one Medusa at the epicenter where it began. And Senka's like, yeah, I do wonder. But soon enough, at long last, we'll get to inspect the scene of the crime for ourselves. Time passes. This is represented by Nikki looking at a calendar. <laughs> <laughs> you think she was just kind of like looking at it? It's like, I see you numbers. <laughs> Wait a minute. I can't read. <laughs> yes, she can. <laughs> She's from modern time. I know. I just like the idea that she's like, I've been well at blending in, but I cannot read. What if Nikki's just looking at like, what strange characters these are? How am I meant to read this? And someone's like, they're numbers, not letters. Mm. Oh, now I know what everything this says. 
Well, this isn't very exciting, actually. <laughs> uh, we get uh, uh, just word that says, like, yeah, it's been four months now since they have actually left Japan in order to get to this point. And they're like, oh, my God, we're here. We're here at Ground Zero where this whole thing on Earth started, where everyone was petrified. And everyone's kind of just walking down the river in their boots, waiting around, trying to find something. And Kohaku's kind of wondering around, like, you know, if this guy was so determined to destroy humanity to the point that he did all this, you know, what's going on here? And Suika just randomly steps on something. And she spots a petrification device and she holds up. She's like, oh, my God, here it is. And Chrome's like, oh, wow. How lucky are you, Suika? And Kohaku says, lucky. I don't know about that. Look. And everyone stares in shock for a second. And we pan back. And there is this massive pyramid with piles around it of petrification devices and someone says it's so sickening yet beautiful with malice. So that's a lot of petrification devices, huh? That is a lot of them. Um, I will say this for this chapter: this is the first time in a really long time that I finished a Doctor Stone chapter. Is like I am excited for the next one. I I think this is uh, going to be an interesting time for Doctor Stone as we kind of had to dig more and more into. The you know the series it's all about science we have to dig into something that is so very unscientific of like a magical stone petrification beam machine basically and they they are kind of slowly starting to insert the stuff that be says like all right this is how it makes sense and stuff like that but this is a moment kind of like why man where it just it makes your mind wander and kind of wonder what everything is that we're kind of experiencing I I think that's where I'm most interested in Doctor Stone. Yeah, the not knowing yet is what gets you, you know, that kind of tingly feeling of anticipation or of kind of dread. So, yeah. Now, if that were a if that were a pyramid of star destroyers, then I'd be like, oh, fuck off. But, I'd, I'd uh, be like, oh, it's a new Star Wars movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, let me guess. It's a pyramid full of Death Star beams. Cool. Well, yeah. That makes it way that makes it way better than. <laughs> Oh, dear. All uh, right. Let's talk about Mashalmic, Magic and Muscles, Chapter 45, Rain Ames, and the most thrilling magic user. Ooh, so we get a little extra detail. It's not a mash chapter. This is a rain chapter. Mm-hmm. It's not really a rain chapter. Um, But it is a chapter that starts off, at least, with us talking about uh Margaret, the Orca Dorm Prefect. And we hear about how, you know, there was this tournament uh years ago it's you know was to discover young talents and everything like that and one person just completely dominated everybody and that was margaret macaron the you know the future prefect they were only he was only nine at the time but wow very very skilled and now i do like the way that this is actually uh laid out because it says like oh it's supposed to be for 13 to 15 year olds but then after he won, it was discovered he lied about his age. He was only nine. Like, <laughs> that's yeah. such a nice, like, oh, yeah, you thought he cheated. No, no, he did cheat, but it's in a way that makes him even more impressive. Yeah. So. I think it might have accidentally pl- unplugged your mic, though. I think it switched you back over. Um, I will check Skype. Yes. Uh, in the meantime, 
we actually we cut back to the present where Margaret is about to show down with Reigns. And Margaret basically is just like, ah, yes, you are here. You reign names of all people. Not only will I get to face Mass Burn dead, but one of our school's divine visionaries. Uh, and then immediately he's just like, but you are. Takes out a fucking piano, just begins fucking going to town on it. And like stares into the sky and goes, the powerless winter range and then like as a moment of just like the you know the finishing crescendo staring into the sky silence range just like what the fuck does that mean <laughs> does that just mean something <laughs> and it isn't that just great whenever a character is kind of like so is that this guy's thing like, <laughs> i don't know what you mean uh, we cut over to they they have a bit of a showdown. They they shoot swords and music notes at each other, and it <laughs> causes you know. an equal explosion in the way shonen manga powers tend to do. Uh, and then we cut inside, and the characters are playing the most like fortuitous fucking board game that has ever existed. It's it's of course a board game where you roll a d one hundred. Yeah, to so determine how many spaces. It's almost a perfect sphere. Yeah. Uh, so Dot runs, uh, rolls it and gets tricked by a spell charm. And he's like, what the fuck? This board game sucks. And then Lemon rolls it and she immediately goes to j- jail for, for putting restraints on her love interest. And she's just like, eek. Uh, you know, uh, Lance has to confront his sister bringing home a boyfriend. He was just deterred her inside of the game. And it goes to fucking fucking sweet sweet baby finn who's just like oh you returned a lost object to the police earn like a hundred bucks or whatever and then mash goes and it says you've discovered you can't you it's discovered you can't use magic game over and everyone's like dude this game sucks (laughs) uh but we see finn as he watches on with this and he thinks back to something rain said to him at some point where he said these days will continue Words only have meaning when paired with action. If you can't act, it's the same as saying nothing at all. And Finn makes a resolution to himself that he'll keep them going. Uh, So, you know, Finn has found something he wants to protect. Uh, We cut back to the forest. Uh, Margaret has basically left a bunch of music note landmine things floating in the air. And he's just like, look, you can't attack me now. You'll explode if you try to so hey you know why i wanted to st- uh, st- you know why i desire stimulation uh basically boredom is death that that's what his whole little speech here kind of goes into we all do things because if we don't then it's like dying and you're boring me right now so could you get the fuck out of my way because i want to go kill mash um i want to stop and say more but to be honest margaret's character is kind of not interesting at the moment so i don't really feel like going through his entire spiel um it's a pretty it's a pretty long thing yeah yeah so rain just basically says he's a brazen kid brazen enough to tell me he wants to change this world's views and margaret's just like wait what the fuck his whole mood shifted and we cut over to uh x position guy i forget what his actual name is but he's just like oh margaret was is known far and wide but uh you know margaret wasn't interested in becoming divine visionaries you know despite all the skills and Wahlberg's just like yes but do you do you know about marks uh basically just saying like you know two match two line magic users is 
pretty common for our school. We know we get a lot of people. It's a very historic place, but we have an extremely small number of triple line users. So if two lines means magic itself recognizes those talents, then those with three lines must be chosen by God. And we see Margaret is crying. And Wahlberg just finishes by saying, and the youngest to ever acquire three lines is Rain Ames. And I'm not sure what is physically happening here, because basically Rain's skin starts ripping apart to reveal a third line. And I can't tell if this is something that is manifesting in this moment that Wahlberg kind of had an inkling about, or if Rain just generally hides that he has a third line. I think that it's the latter. Okay. He just kind of doesn't call upon his triple line power. Uh, I don't, I mean, yeah, it is a little bit vague as to exactly how this is working, but the pure visual of it after you've been, after, you know, you've come to learn like, okay, you know, magic lines are associated with power. And then you just see another one appearing because his flesh is ripping open. And the blood line is the magic line is a really cool visual. So, yeah, I do like that a lot. But other than that, uh, there is the very silly, but, but fun board game scene. That's very short. And then there's just kind of a fight between two characters that I don't care a whole lot about. So it's all right. Yeah, there's a lot being tried to build up on Margaret, and I'm just not super interested in Margaret right now. Let's go on to Ayakashi Triangle. Chapter 27, Exorcising Incense. It's the return of Rayo, the gadget girl that was, you know... She had, she had the, the kind of fun thing and there was the training dummy. Remember her? Yeah. Yeah. Um, turns out she's almost as thirsty as Suzu. Not quite, but, uh, anyway, so she, uh, happens to come across Matsuri after Matsuri says goodbye to Suzu for the day. And, uh, they go to Matsuri's place in order to catch up. They have some tea together and she says, Hey, I want to ask you something you want to go back to being a boy? You know, you said something the other day when you returned that Ayakashi net. Uh, and so Matsuri was just, you know, kind of saying like, hey, do you have an Exodus Ninja tool that could turn me back into a guy? Uh, and of course, Rayo didn't. Uh, but Matsuri, you know, in answer to that question, thinks for a bit. And he just kind of like thinks about the things that have happened because he has a girl's body. Like, you know, his, his, his bro's dad is trying to get them to shack up. There's a girl that is kind of sort of in love with him because she met a guy version of him. Also, the guys in school are being real creeps to him. So he says, if I'm stuck a girl much longer, I think things might get complicated. It's like that is, you know, like it, it, you can actually totally see like, okay, why he didn't care all that much early on. But now that he's had to deal with all these things, why he wants to increasingly get back to his own body because yeah, all those things are annoying and some are more than just knowing they are like, Oh God, I've got to like deal with this weird situation all the time now. So, um, also, you know, there was the benefits that he got from, you know, being in a girl's body that he hung around Susan and her friends more. So there was that, that was nice, but all this other stuff sucks. So Rayo pulls out another gadget uh, which is 
the exercising incense burner Kodomaru, which is this little robot that has like a vet for like emitting like stuff out of it. And um, it takes off Matsuri's shirt, as you do. And uh, Rayo kind of like kneels into Matsuri while he's sitting against the wall. And she says, the secret art of gender swap awakened. I'm going to get a sample of your scent. And Matsuri's like, my scent? And Rayo explains, the Kurogi clan have been handling existential tools, but we originally dealt with Koro incense. We were a clan of exorcists who utilized sense as an exorcist tool. That's why I have quite a fetish for sense, as she is literally crawling along Matsuri's body to say this. Uh-huh. Anyway, so... That happens. We covered to Suzu... Who decides to do her work at Matsuri's house. And <laughs> Shirogani's there with her. And he's just like, you just want a good excuse to go over there. And she says, no, no. <laughs> and the conversation stops there. Because the, she immediately overhears the you know ruckus that is being caused by Rayo doing some lesier stuff on Matsuri's body. Comes around the corner with Shirogane. Sees Rayo getting right up in that armpit. Which, you know, got to smell that thing right there. Yep. It's all sexy, isn't it? Yep. So uh, Suzu sees all this. Is like, what are you doing? Shirogane points and is like, a pervert. Very good, Shirogane. Very good. Oh, you you kink shame people. Yeah, you point them out. Good for you. So uh, that happens. Matsuri says, no, this isn't what it looks like. Rayo says in response, presumably to Shirogane, I can't deny that I am what I am. All right. So, okay. So she has a little bit of a moment to calm down after sniffing Matsuri, I guess. And uh, then she explains herself finally, which is, oh, I needed to prepare for the exorcism. I needed to smell your entire body to be sure. It's the scent of the secret art of gender swap awakened. Very faint, but it's definitely infused with your own scent. And it's quite complicated, but let's try something. And she has Koromaru prepare the scents, mixes a bunch of these different powders with different scents in them together, and is like, this is exercising incense. And she puts it into the robot and then spreads the incense around the room, and it begins to seep into Matsuri's body. The seal begins to interact with it, and his chest shrinks. And so for a brief moment, everyone's like, oh my god, is it working? Can the juice be lifted? And then Matsuri just kind of like very brazenly checks under the skirt. He's like, no, nothing else happens. Like, okay. I mean, I guess that is the most straightforward, hold on, did my body change measurement you can take. But all right. So that happens. And then, uh, but they're like, oh, you know, it's for a first attempt. It wasn't, it wasn't that bad. There was, there's some room for improvement. Suzu. Is like, yeah, you know, when I tried to do my thing with putting my, you know, Ayakashi energy into Matsuri, it didn't do anything. So she looks at Rayo and is like, this girl. Mm. As Rayo is feeling like I'm going to try and do more. And Suzu and Rayo just kind of like share a look of like, it's my man you're messing with. Because clearly that is what is, what is, what is going on. Like, I didn't really get that impression 100% from Rayo's first appearance, but... 
this one is very clearly like, yeah, no, she is absolutely trying to like love triangle this thing. So, uh-huh. um, the chapter's not over. The seal reacts, and Matsuri's boobs come back even bigger than before, presumably as a reaction to them shrinking. So Matsuri has to go home with giant tits that day, and then when he goes to bed, they go back to their previous size. The end. This is a stupid chapter. It's very dumb. This is a very stupid... Um... And I don't mean this to shame anybody who likes this. I found this chapter very gross. <laughs> and I didn't want any part of it. And I will be better off having now hopefully forgotten this chapter exists in every way possible. So there's that. I do tend to try and say like, I mean, you know, yeah, there was fan service, but there's some nice stuff. But like, it's such very shallow you know, plot development that happens, which is Rayo is now trying to get Matsuri to turn back into a guy, but her first attempt didn't work. Also, she wants that D2. Watch out, Suzu. And um, then there is just some kind of more out there stuff than Ayakashi Triangle has really done up to this point. All right, if you're into that, okay. I'm sure the people did like those things. Fine, whatever. But... There's not really anything in this chapter for me because it was just kind of like, all right, this is the fan service chapter and that's it. Yep. It was there. Um, all right. Let's talk about Black Clover, Nick. Yep. Uh, page 277, the vice captain of the Golden Dawn, um, which is oh my God. kind <laughs> I've of just been reminded. <laughs> I have to remember that chapter. For the, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the chapter begins with, you know, uh, seemingly having killed Zeno. And he's just like, you're the one who's going to die. Die regretting that you ever meddled with the Golden Dawn. And uh, Langris is just like, ah, it's working. We'll beat up this guy, stop the advent, and rescue Captain Vengeance. And you're totally right, Langris. This is not going to go tits up afterwards. I'm sure everything's going to work out just fine. Nick, well, you know what? Let's just wait a minute because the other side of this chapter might also reaffirm that the uh, Dark Triad oh. are all going to be beat one by one it's in a single chapter. Going so well, one after the other. I can't <laughs> believe we're ending this arc before January's done. Oh, man. Real satisfied. So Vanica's there and she's like, Oh, I heard we had intruders, but none of you are Noel. I don't even know if any of you guys are fun. So I'm going to have you fight these guys. These guys were shining generals and they look undistinct enough to probably have been shining star generals and I don't remember them. Uh, we see. Uh, Charlotte used some of her briar magic, and then Rill uses a whole bunch of painting magic, and Vanica's like, huh, picture magic can use all sorts of attributes, so it's interesting, but it's kind of like, I don't know, like, boring, <laughs> basically? She's like, I don't know, is that it? It's kind of lame. Kind of sucks. Vanica, character of the week. Points <laughs> <laughs> out why Rill is stupid. <laughs> and she also basically says the same thing to Charlotte. She's like, you know, Briar magic. I mean, that's not even like a good combo with fucking art magic. I don't even know why the two of you guys here are together. I wish I could have fought any of the cool characters. Oh, I wanted to turn them into toys so bad. And then we get like a little flashback. Basically, she shits on Yami. 
and that's enough to kind of start fucking uh charlotte's like little flashback remembering everything basically like oh she learned how arrays work and she's learned how to better channel her her curse magic that's in her and she's learned how to turn it into essentially an anti-demon curse magic and like oh it's very strong and she activates a new modified briar magic blue rose paradise the stronger the enemy's curse the more of that curse they absorb and the lovelier their blooms grow so vanica's like what the fuck uh but actually mega school is the one who's like uh, hold on, like, fucking, like, lifts the eye patch. like, this bitch turned her magic into specifically anti-me magic? Fuck yes, I want to fight this bitch so hard! Um, Charlotte's like, ah, yes, that is my current blue rose, and this is my rightful red rose, and she strikes the two the generals, basically, she, did, she beats them, and she reveals her new form, which is very difficult to physically like visually parse out what I'm looking at in this moment, but I bet it'll look really cool animated. At least I hope so. Cause no idea what I'm currently looking at right now. I don't know what's tasteful shadow and what's actually part of the costume in this form. Um, she basically is like, yeah, I'll save you now, Yami. Uh, and Vanica is just going completely crazy. She's like, holy shit, this is the best. I can't wait. I'm going to find the best opponent ever. I'm going to fight. And she's, uh, Charlotte's just like, no, I'm not. I'm not fighting you. Vanica's like, what do you mean? You got to fight me. You're the, you're, you're, you and me are like destined to fucking fight now. We got this fucking cool shit. And Charlotte's just like, you were careless and arrogant and let your guard down. That's why this happened. And basically just seals her in a ball of thorns. And that's how the chapter ends. She just says, ridiculous women like you are not my thing. Die without getting your wish. That is my punishment for you. It's a pretty badass moment, honestly. I love the, the line, die without getting your wish. Yeah. Um, But I don't, Nick, I don't know how to say this. I don't think Vanica's defeated forever here. I feel no, like, I feel like... <laughs> She might come back. <laughs> nah, it's one of those things where it's like, if you don't just like the exact moment, then, you know, there's not really a whole lot to come out of it because you just know that, you know, it's just how these kind of fight scenes could play out in sh- and showing an adventure stuff. She's going to break out. It's a false finish. That's that, that's just kind of it. Like, we're clearly so, setting up for Vanica to face off against Noel at some point as well. So... So the one bit where, yeah, Charlotte, you know, talks some nice trash. That's kind of nice, but it's just kind of like, I don't really care about Charlotte as a character all that much. So this progression that she's made doesn't really matter to me at all. So, okay. Yeah, it's very much a thing that happens to be there. Uh, I did get very confused when I read the title of the chapter. I guess I didn't like process it when I first read the chapter. I was like, the vice captain of the Golden Dawn. Who's that? And I was like, that's you know. You know wasn't in a lot of this chapter, was he? And he's not. So it is very confusing that the chapter title was named after him, and then it's a chapter about the captain of the Blue Rose. Killing <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe uh, when uh, Tabata Sensei was titling uh, the chapter, he got confused because. 
Charlotte's got the exact same crown that uh, you know was wearing in his powered up form. They do have identical crowns, so I guess. Oh, was that it? Was last week's chapter named wrong as well? Oh. Uh no, last chapter was Boreas. That that does that does connect, I think. That was the spirit of Boreas. No, I think it was just like a weird, like, I don't know, I wanted to call the chapter. <laughs> so who cares? Anyway, Nick, let's move on to something fucking so, historic. Right. So we're, that's it for weekly manga recap this week. Uh, we're done. There's definitely no more chapters to discuss. Uh, right. So, uh, Chris, what was your favorite chapter this week? Uh, my favorite chapter this week's got to be that sexy armpit smelling chapter. Mm-mm. Oh, yeah. I'm going to go. I'm going to finish uh, recording this episode and just start furiously jerking off to that chapter over and over again because there's so much to digest with every new page. uh all right so one piece (gasps) all my friends are here and i've been here for a thousand chapters i'm just gonna do this the whole chapter nick one piece um one piece one piece yeah, I think when I first started reading this series, the idea of it getting to a thousand chapters just kind of seemed like, even though it was as far along as it was when I first started reading, it was it was just kind of like, I you know never read a series that was a thousand chapters long, and uh, there's only a, like a good handful of those in existence too. I mean, you got stuff like what, like Kochikame and uh, Ippo is a thousand chapters plus. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there's not, I mean, like, even JoJo, I don't even know if you combine every part of it together. I don't even know if it has a thousand chapters in, in the straight sense. It, it became a monthly series after a while. But, right. I, I mean, there's very few series that have reached this landmark. Um, I don't know if, I mean, if you base it off of the current way series tend to be running in jump, I do not know if we're going to see another one in a while. So it, this is a very, very big deal. Yeah, um, I know that like uh, there was I looked it up at some point that, yeah, there was a series that ran for nearly 50 years straight. And that's like the longest uh, manga ever. Uh, and there's also actually actually there's one. Um, it's Golgo 13. Oh, yeah, uh, that's right. Started in 19. It was it was like the 60s and it's still going. Which is shit. <laughs> all right. I mean, if you want to, <laughs> it's like those things where, like, you look in the fucking comic section of your newspaper and you're like, really? Fucking Hagar the Horrible's still going on? All right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> fucking Kathy's still bitching about her swimsuit not being the fitting or whatever. You're like, all right. I guess people really fucking love these guys. Yeah, people take comfort in some things like that. But yeah. Chapter 1000 of, of One Piece titled. Straw Hat Luffy. Uh, we begin with Luffy. Uh, he's still in the castle making his way up. And uh, some of the minks have kind of cleared the way for him. And taken out a bunch of the rabble uh, that were kind of blocking the way up the stairs to the roof. And they're like, okay, we've cleared the way for you, Straw Hat Luffy. And, and Luffy says, thanks, Lion Viper. And one is just like, it's Shishilian. And Luffy's like, no, no, don't worry. I haven't forgotten. I remember. It's, you know, because you risk your guys to protect Ryzo before. So thanks. I'll be back. And uh, Shishilian, like, gets, 
like really like, well, he remembered me. <laughs> wipes his tears away. I don't know exactly why he's crying, honestly. It's like, oh, he knows who I am. <laughs> I think it's just a very emotional. Look, Nick, I, I cried today after watching the news for long enough. Sometimes things just get emotional mm-hmm. to the point you just don't know why. You're just like, fucking, I don't know. Maybe things will get fucking better. Finally, I don't know. I'm just got, I have to release this somewhere. Maybe Shashelian was like, oh man, I got a, I got spoken dialogue in One Piece chapter 1000. <laughs> <laughs> and he'll always have that. He'll be telling his grandkids about that. Chapter 1000 about One Piece was about me. <laughs> I had that deep emotional moment with Luffy. <laughs> yeah, what were you crying about? The sure, was in a deep and emotional moment. <laughs> yeah, but what were you crying about? Sure, go to your room. <laughs> Don't talk to Grandpa Shashelian like that. I'm fucking kill you. Little Pedro. Queen. <laughs> Queen and King try to stop Marco, who is flying with Zoro up to the roof, and they're like, Why can't we stop this guy? Is he invincible? I mean, he's made of Phoenix fire, so um basically, yes. So good luck with that. <laughs> uh and uh he kind of grabs the two of them with his wings of flame, and then I guess, oh, he's got, I don't know exactly what he does, but he launches Zoro up into the sky somehow, just tosses him up with, I don't know, his head, I I guess. I think with his legs, because he was carrying Zoro in his legs, and he basically just fucking yeets him up there with his feet. Rotates his body to throw him. Okay, that makes sense. We cut over to uh, Momonosuke, who is being talked to by Yamato, talking about, you know, the legend of D and, and all that stuff. And Yamato says, I never believed that I would get a chance to meet you. This is for you. I picked it up out of the river at the foot of Owen Castle. And he gives him Odin's journal. And he says, someone must have kept this journal safe from the burning castle. It contains everything there is to know about Odin's grand life and the world he experienced. You were, and we get him continuing to talk for a bit as we cut around to see that, hey, there's some more people moving throughout the castle. Law is on the move. Kid and Killer are on the move. As Yamato says, you were born on Whitebeard's ship, weren't you? And then you went on Roger's ship. They said in the future, over 20 years later, the new world here would be overrun by young, powerful new pirates. And that's what's happening now. I believed that Ace was first and foremost among them. But when he died, I remembered something. And we once again flash back to that friendly conversation the Yamato and Ace had that we saw the, in the last chapter where Ace um, talked about uh, something important. And he was like, oh, no, 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 I wasn't supposed to say that. So forget about that. Uh, and don't laugh at me because uh, don't laugh about that because me and Sabo won't allow it. That's the end of that's the end of my little brother's dream. See, when Luffy first said it, we laughed, but that's okay. Nobody else can laugh. We believe in him. I really think he can make it happen. And that's why. But Yamato cuts him off and says, I'm not going to laugh at him. And he's crying because he believes in Luffy's dream of being the king of the pirates, too. And, uh, so let's see. Then there was the words about 
you know, Rod that Roger had said that stunned Odin, where there was just, you know, flashing back to that first flashback that we had last year. Because Yamato says in the journal of Kazuki Odin, there was a great man who said the same thing. Of course, I wouldn't laugh at him. Your brother's incredible. And he's like, oh, all right. Well, it's good to hear. Maybe one day me and movie should sit down with him for a drink. And you know, I was like, yeah, I bet you would have gotten along. He's already dead. No, no, no. He's like, oh, you're talking about a dead guy? It's it's worth noting this is, I guess, a reference. I've kind of forgotten about this, but people have brought it up before. That uh, back when we got like the big Luffy Sabo Ace flashback, there was something Luffy said that was cut off that we have to presume is something beyond just I'm going to be king of the pirates. Yeah. And it mirrors something that Roger also has kind of said in the past. So we cut forward to the end of Ace's visit to Wano and uh, Yamato is the one to give Ace his fever card. So mm-hmm. it, you know, he explains how it'll work and stuff like that. And he's like, hey, yeah, you know, you tear off a bit of this, give it to your friends that you don't want to lose track of or people you want to meet. And yeah, let's meet up again one day, Ace. And he's got, you know, a little little piece of it as they wave goodbye to each other. And then Yamato says, and then one day his card disappeared. And after that, I learned the truth from the newspaper that he was Roger's son and that his little brother really had made a name for himself as a pirate. That was Luffy, the man you brought here. This is what Odin wrote about the future. And we cut to the roof of the castle and Luffy has arrived to face down Big Mom and Kaido and so has Law and so has Kid and Killer and so has Zoro and Supernovas. all five yeah. I mean the supernovas that you know we, we well wait, I was going to say one's downstairs getting his ass punched in no one really knows where Hawkins is the next Drake someplace but you know it is worth noting these all specifically are supernovas Bonnie just comes flying out of the sky. I'm here too, guys! Yeah, yeah, fucking Roge, I'm here! <laughs> I had to look up who all the supernovas were, and I'm like, all right, him. <laughs> this is what uh, Odin wrote about the future. Over 20 years in the future, powerful pirates leading the next generation will come swarming into the new world. If I am dead by then, they will be the ones to strike down Kaido. And, uh, yeah, they're facing down Kaido and also Big Mom. And Luffy catches sight of something and starts walking towards the two of them. And Kaido and Big Mom start saying, he's like, hey, you guess what this boy said he would become right to my face? And Big Mom's like, yeah, and he said the same thing to me, too, getting too big for his britches. And he destroyed my castle. (laughs) More upset about being talked to than that. But while they're saying all that, Luffy just kind of, like, seemingly vanishes and keeps on walking once he's past the two of them and he keeps on walking over to the fallen Kinemon and he goes to check on his friend he says hey sorry it took me so long are you all right and Kinemon starts to cough and he is clearly not in good shape neither are any of the other Akazaya nine and we see all of their bodies strewn out across the ground blood covering them and Kinemon says alas when I pass on I have nothing to show Lord Odin but my shame will you put Wano on your back and Luffy says of course I will it's my friend's country and uh, Kinemon gonna just you know like 
is shocked into silence and he's crying. Kaido is really pissed off at being ignored, comes up behind Luffy. He's got his club in hand, is ready to smash him and just obliterate him. And Kinemon says, I am in your debt. Luffy asks Law to send everyone away with his shambles ability, and he does. Everyone pops away. And Kaido tries to smash Luffy. He dodges, and he immediately goes gear three, gets armament hockey on his arm as he charges up. And as he does so, he thinks about all of the experiences that he has had leading up to this. Uh, how when they arrived at Zoe, Cat Viper and everyone else put their bodies on the line in order to protect Ryza because they would never sell out a friend. Um, Momonosuke finally s- snapped and said that he wanted to defeat Kaido. How Kinemon told them that they had crossed through 20 years. How, God, I had completely forgot about this. How, in order to protect the plant, someone gave his life and just gave himself up and let himself be crucified and killed so that they could have a chance at this. How, they gathered companions and managed to get the fire of rebellion going and how Kinemon told them all the story of Odin and, and Roger and everybody. And Luffy charges up and he punches Kaido in the face with a giant fist using his red rock technique. And he blasts Kaido into the ground and big mom <laughs> says, what are you doing, Kaido? <laughs> it's like, come on, get up, you idiot. But Luffy says, I am Monkey D. Luffy, and I'm the man who will surpass you to be king of the pirates. And that's the end of the chapter. Mm-hmm. So, uh, there was a lot of hype to chapter 1000, obviously. There was just naturally going to be uh, there was a ton of just build up to this series. It feels like, um, especially because although there's kind of been an expectation when like chapter 600 and 700 and 800 came out for those to all be huge. Cause chapter 500 was when we were introduced to silver's Raleigh gold Rogers first mate. It was like a whole big thing. You know, people were kind of expecting this to be like, Oh, is this, we're going to find out where the will of D is and things like that. Um, and this isn't to say this isn't an insignificant chapter or anything like that. Um, but this was a very powerful reaffirmation of the core of One Piece. Uh, chapter 100 is where Luffy proclaims, you know, like, it's just, this was a moment where we could have just put like a big spoiler thing, basically, in here, not a spoiler thing, but like a, a big like world building thing or something like that. And instead, it's just a chapter where Luffy says, fuck these guys. They hurt my friends. I'm going to go protect them. One of them decide to come at me. All right, get your face fucked up. And that's the end of the chapter, basically. And he's going to proclaim over. He's like, I'm going to be better than both of you and whoop your asses. And I don't know, but that is so fucking satisfying, man. It is so fucking cool. One Piece has kind of made it to a thousand chapters by just occasionally building up someone that needs to get punched in the face and having Luffy punch them in the face. Like, (laughs) that's... And, um, you know, for all the amount of time we have spent in Wano, when we got that montage of like, oh, yeah, Luffy's been through all this shit in the last few weeks of his life. And I've been through all this shit in the past few years of my life. Yeah. Yeah, I do want him to kick Kaido's ass. 
Huh, he's caused an entire nation to suffer. It's so fucking. It's weird when you stop to think about it. You're like, we have been dealing with elements of Kaido for a very long time. To to a certain extent, we have been dealing with elements of Kaido for like five years, considering what you even consider fucking Doflamingo and all this, because yeah. Doflamingo was essentially a vehicle for Kaido. So it's yeah. one of those things where you like you I sit there. Think the, I think that everything post Fishman Island basically can be basically tied directly to him. So and you're just like, holy shit! That has been so many years and so many conflicts and so many different elements all being mixed together that there is that satisfaction of Luffy just dodging the blow and just dropping this whole big fucking punch just right on Kaido. This really cool evolution of Red Hawk into Red Rock, you know, and like uh, taking it from like, I'm named after a bird. To I'm named after a mythological bird that'll fuck the original bird up. It's just, it's crazy. It, it's such a satisfying moment. Yeah, it's, Zambe in the chat's kind of noting it. It basically has been the entire 10 years of weekly manga recap that we've been doing Almost, this, yeah. that we have been to the point of dealing with Kaido as like an, a, an upcoming antagonist. So it's 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 a very big moment. And it's just so simple. I don't like it's just that way Oda knows how to write Luffy, where Luffy doesn't say anything. Luffy just walks straight past these two bad guys who are too busy fucking monologuing about how fucking dope they are. And like, how dare you possibly come up and say anything against us? You know, talk shit, get hit. And then he just fucking walks past them, helps out his buddy, and then just fucking clobbers one. Yeah. Because he doesn't care about their bullshit. He cares that his friend was hurt. Yeah. So, yeah. And I do, I really do love the visual we see of the two-page spread of, like, the two sides staring at each other from across the field. It's, it's a pretty exciting moment to be like, holy shit, yeah. like, I'm actually really fucking stoked to see these characters fight each other. Yeah, and it makes me bet more appreciate, like, how we had all those times checking in on, oh, this is where Kid, is, Kid and Killer are. This is where Law is. This is Zoro trying to get away from all of these extras in order to get up to the main fight. And yeah, here they all are at once. And it makes it somehow more satisfying than if just Luffy had shown up in order to face yeah. them down. Because like, hey, here is the new generation, the wave of the future coming in to almost definitely unseat these two monsters even if it seemed unimaginable at one point, you get that sense that, no, this is going to happen. It is going to go down this way. And you feel it that way. And you're like, yes, it's time because I want these heroes to stop those assholes. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, I am excited to see how this Odin arc finally reaches its big climax. And this was a great way to be like, yeah. Here, here we go. Yeah, so. find out what it's about. All right, with Check that, the week in MVP. <laughs> yeah, with that, uh, yeah, it's it's gonna be One Piece, and it's gonna be Luffy. If for nothing else, I think my hero had a very, very good week, and I even kind of want to give it to Uraraka. But beyond the fact it's a good chapter, there's just such a historical element to One Piece that the fan of me is just like, I want to give it its due moment and just be like, yeah, One Piece, Luffy. I am absolutely definitely going to give it to One Piece. Uh, I thought for a second after reading some of the chapters this week, because there were some really exciting chapters that happened this week. Uh -huh. My Hero Academia was was good. 
uh, at least for for the most of it. Doctor Stone had the big reveal at the end. Yep. But it is absolutely One Piece, not just because it's a thousand, this chapter a thousand, but also because it's chapter one thousand, and it gets you hyped up the way that a moment like that should. And so I, it it was good. Uh, my character of the week is going to be Uraraka, though. Okay. Because I thought that she had probably the single most effective emotional moment. That that just that sequence of her watching the guy having the breakdown is a re- is really effective. So. Yeah, um, I I can definitely see that. The audience uh, agrees with One Piece, by the way, and Luffy is the character of the week, so that's how it ends up. Chapter 1000. All right, guys. That is it. We should, should, before we go to any, like, build-up, we should note, there's not going to be a regular episode next week. Uh, There are no new chapters next week, I believe. Right. So, because we are off, what we are going to do when we would normally record Weekly Manga Recap is we are going to do a game. We talked about this before, yes. where Nick and myself are going to challenge the other to see who, how many of these characters from either One Piece or My Hero, respectively, we can figure out or remember. And a veto will be on the line. We'll, we'll have to talk over some of the specifics. I got some ideas, but the idea will be that we'll do that. I do not know if it'll be a, a, a regular recorded episode because I don't know how well it'll come across in, in audio, if that's how you choose to digest mm-hmm. your podcast. But that'll definitely be something that's out there. So if you're wondering next week, you're like, hey, where's the regular episode of the podcast? Uh, may not be one solely because there weren't chapters to really talk about. No, I agree. There you go. Okay. Yeah, guys, thank you for joining us for the show. We record Weekly Manga Recap live on twitch.tv slash T Wednesdays around 7.30 Eastern time. You can check out uh, check us out on Twitter so that you get updates on exactly when we will begin the recording. That's at WMR Podcast for the official podcast account. And you can also follow your hosts at T and at Nick F. Time. You can also join our Discord server where our wonderful community takes part in all sorts of different conversations about uh, the manga that we are recapping, the manga that we are taking as suggestions. And through that, you can also find the Google Doc that is maintained by Ninja X3i, which tracks uh, the recommendations we're working on, the votes that uh, we we log for MVP and favorite series of the week, also logs uh, those uh, same things from the audience, and keeps track of year-end supplemental awards, which uh, were issued over the course of the past week after the final polls were conducted and after uh, we had our yearly recap uh, last week. Uh, we would like to extend a special thanks to everyone who supports us on Patreon, allows us to create bonus content for you guys to enjoy, as well as Steve Mann, our talk artist. You can check him out wherever boobs are allowed to be drawn. And... We would also like to extend special thanks to Winston Del Cheddar and Milo Jack Stillitz for creating the opening sequence of Weekly Monica Recap. And that's going to do it. Yeah. All right. I don't know what else to say, so we're going to wrap this old puppy up. Yep. Um, uh, wrap it up the way you do with puppies, uh-huh. which, uh, how does that work? Like, when uh, dogs are like given us presents, do you just, do you leave the dog in the box overnight by the tree? Or uh, it's highly advised you don't, as they need air. I've been told. Uh, air. I I've never gotten a puppy as a gift. 
I guess dogs do need to breathe. They do pant all the time. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. That's why they're that's why they're panting all the time because they need to breathe from all the presents that they've been put inside underneath the Christmas tree. You can find out this and everything else from Sia's hit Christmas single "Puppies Are Forever," where she sings for about three and a half minutes about how puppies are forever, not just for Christmas. Yes, puppies are forever, not just for Christmas. I've given you about eighty percent of the lyrics of that song. But puppies aren't forever. They grow up and stop being... I mean, you could call a dog a puppy, I guess, but... I do. I call my dog a puppy all the time, and she's like a warty fucking 14-year-old dog. (laughs) She's my big, stinky puppy, though. (laughs) Good night, everyone.